0: Welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast and our annual review of the year special. Yes, 2020 has been an absolute hellscape from top to bottom. There is no denying it. But one thing we can be grateful for, other than the fact that the alien invasion has been rescheduled for 2021, is that the TV this year has been truly outstanding. So, over the course of this week's show, we're going to do a thorough post-mortem of the calendar year and talk about how the small screen fared over this most bizarre of times. We'll also be counting down the official pilot TV top shows of the year, so make sure you've got your notepads handy because recommendations will abound. I'm James Dyer and this is 2020, a year I think it's safe to say like no other we began the year bright-eyed and bushy-tailed finally about to get the mandalorian here in the uk still glowing from season one of the witcher over christmas and then (laughs) march happened and we were all sent home and here we are Nine months later, pasty and golem like from not having been outside for most of a year, myopic and bleary from the endless hours of telly we were able to squeeze in, in the absence of anything resembling a social life. And this very podcast, which we once recorded together in a studio, has now become, frankly, the main way we all see each other, each in our little box, like a kind of nerdy Brady Bunch, as we record these shows remotely. But we have endured, we have been in your ears throughout the global pandemic, and we hope you've all got as much out of listening to us as we have coming together once a week to record this for you. As you would expect, joining me once more in voice, if not in body, are my two co-hosts. First of all, a woman who went home on maternity leave at the beginning of this year with no idea that the entire office, and indeed the world, would soon be doing likewise. (laughs) Um, But even the birth of her child and the release of her best-selling memoir pale in comparison to the truly life-changing events she underwent this year when she finally succumbed to my endless proselytizing and discovered the west wing and let me tell you her giddy reactions to this have been everything i could have possibly dreamed of it is terry wingnut white hello terry
1: (laughs) it's funny james hi because um i was thinking i've I've spent much of the last week thinking about this year and what i'll remember and and you know the huge seismic things that have happened to me and yeah 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 baby book (sighs) I watched two cathedrals last (laughs) week, which was the finest. I've slept on it. I didn't want to say this initially because I thought I didn't want to go too far, but I've slept on it several times since then, and it is the greatest single episode of television in history. And I will, even all joking aside, 2020 will be the year that I fell madly, desperately in love with the west wing and i must take this opportunity to say thank you james and, dyer
0: and i was right
1: so. well, you were absolutely categorically <laughs> right
0: if this were an episode of stairway to heaven this would be the part where the pearly gates open and i i ascend having completed my mission or <laughs> if it were quantum leap i would be leaping you, at this yes, point having put right what once went wrong in your taste
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, James. Just just (laughs) take this in and enjoy it because we've known each other over five years. And I think this is definitely the first time I've said, thank you, James. And you were right, James. So maybe, you know, another five years have passed. We may end up here again, but I wouldn't necessarily bank on it. No, 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 no. No. You see, you you have to ruin it, don't you? You have to ruin it. I can't
2: can't take this level of sincerity, earlier in this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Grotesque. uh,
0: Of course, Boyd is here too, I must say. Yes, uh, with us now, as ever, of course, our very own friend to the stars, the linchpin that holds the Pilot TV podcast together. A man, of course, we couldn't do this show without, even if it does take him a full five minutes to put his headphones on with only one arm it is the one the only mr boyd hilton
2: i think i could become a youtuber because if i film myself trying to get these headphones on every time i have to do it honestly it, it, it is a quite a slapstick <laughs> it's a slapstick sight to behold this morning funnily enough to me longer than usual uh, it should why. be pointed out the boyd's arm is broken this yes. is not like a weird dare no that I'm he's in doing a sling. <laughs> i'm in a sling um, he is in a sling uh, I wonder if we got you to watch all 12 episodes of I May Destroy. That would be the equivalent almost of Terry being converted to the West Wing. But um, I think it's still well, holding well, out. There, aren't will, be, you there twat. will be
0: discussion of this show, I suspect. No spoilers later on. But let's kick off with a little nostalgic reminiscence. So, what have been your standout TV moments of 2020? So, like individual scenes or specific episodes rather than shows as a whole?
1: Uh, I'll start. So, I want to mention the episode of feel good at the seaside in Mm. blackpool on the ghost train blackpool blackpool i think it's episode five um and we'll get into feel good properly i'm sure down the line but that episode for me was funny and sincere and painful the setting was perfect blackpool has never looked better um incredible final scene in um on a dance floor together just i mean that that show overall but there's such delicacy and poignancy in that episode and particularly in Mm. that moment on the dance floor incredibly incredibly moving for me i think
0: also the relationship between charlotte Ritchie's character and lisa kudrow's character i think that it's really really pointed i think in that episode it's it's lovely it's a lovely little little escape episode yeah incredible
2: um, I think it was episode four, though. I don't want to be that person, but I oh believe it's Oh, my God, you are four. absolutely that person. I Sorry.
0: think you're fine, Terry. That was fine. episode four. Are you sure? Yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. That, yes, checked. Terry. Yes, I am, with my patronising voice.
2: <laughs> so I've just checked it, yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah.
1: That's point. That's point.
2: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Mm,
1: yeah.
2: Mm, yeah. My first one is the spoilers. People haven't seen Save Me 2 yet. What do we do about mm. that? But let's just uh, say... But speaking
0: in bleak terms, it should be pointed out here that while we are going to be discussing the TV shows of the year, we are going to attempt to not spoil any of them. So there will be a, a general avoidance of spoilers.
2: So see what you can do there with some verbal gymnastics. We
1: all know the moment, though. You know the right? moment. You all yeah. know the so, moment. Yeah. We all know
2: the moment. We all know the moment. So there's a moment in, I think it is episode four as well, of Save yeah. Me 2. It's the key moment. And um, all I'll say, well, yeah, talk around it. But what I'll say is when we had... Lenny James on the podcast. Indeed, um, he talked about how filming that scene was a massively emotional moment for him, and um, which he wasn't really expecting. Even talking about it was yeah, emotional talk- for him. Yeah, right. Even talking about it, he was kind of welling up while we were interviewing him, wasn't he? It was incredible. So, yeah, that scene in that show, and I feel, I feel, we'll talk about this more later when we get onto the, the top twenty, but. Um, Save Me too. I hope, yeah, it can't be allowed to not be um, focused on while we're talking about the kind of, you know, the more recent mm. um, stuff that's happened, the brilliant stuff that's happened this year, which we should say it has been a brilliant year. I might go so far as to say that particular
0: scene in Save Me Too might be my absolute scene of the yeah, year. Yeah, well, it's mine. No, it's um, mine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's,
2: it's definitely mine, yeah. Because I, 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 I watched it again recently because I did a masterclass with him um, and um, watching it again, every time you see it, it's like, what just, it could... That, because that's the difficult thing to negotiate you think how they're going to do this moment right you know from the very first episode mm. like if, if this ever happens how they're going to do it and oh my god it is incredible absolutely incredible bit of um, filmmaking and acting but incredible but equally
0: unexpected and yeah. you know unorthodox and you know if if you could have predicted how that scene would play out this is not how you would have written yeah. it like, it's incredibly bold
1: well where it tradition where it fell Versus, indeed, um, indeed. You know episode, and how it, it unspools. Yeah, the episode arc and the series arc and how Lenny messed with those and and genuinely surprised you. And for me, 2020 is the year that telly truly became surprising again because people start to mess around with those conventions. Because mm. I, I was thinking about the finale of, of I May Destroy You, which I think is, is mm. a remarkable, radical piece of filmmaking. But there's one scene in particular um where her attacker there's essentially two of him again i won't say any more because it'll, it'll reveal it something but it's such a radical innovative thing to do on telly and i think we saw it with finales i thought i think we saw it in the way people open shows and where they dropped big reveals or big climaxes to plot which were often mid-series, or it, it everybody seemed to be much more keen to completely upend all of those traditions um, and the way that telly has usually been done. Which is, which is, I think, why it became such a brilliant year for telly. Because, as well as just the general boldness of the material, the conventions and traditions of the way those stories have been told was upended as well.
2: Yeah, yeah it's like Gangs of London, which is the episode five of Gangs of London yes. the ten. so halfway through that show was it nine or ten halfway through that series suddenly comes this incredible spectacular set piece action relentlessly thrilling best bit of action cinema this year that was on tv and that was just the fifth episode of that show that then carried on being pretty and it wasn't
0: if, even that it was just the fifth episode. It was one of those sort of like you know um, interstitial episodes where you're going off and looking at something else, like yeah. unconnected yeah, from the yeah, primary yeah. narrative. Yeah. And it is the best thing in that show, and it is mm. extraordinary. It's the complete opposite, really, of that episode in Stranger Things season two when Eleven fucks off to <laughs> to see that group of kids, and you're just like, what's right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that,
2: yeah. That was a complete yeah disaster. Well, semi disaster, but we coped I with it I didn't mind it, but yes, no, I, I didn't didn't know what you mean. Yeah, but this it's was not a... it's not it's not great. It doesn't have yeah, an awful lot
0: to it. But. Yes, and, and like I say, that's that's one of the definitely one of the episodes of the year, without a shadow of a doubt. Um I'd put a stab in for the Mandalorian episode The Jedi, which was actually last week's episode. This week's episode, the tragedy is also very, very good. But the Jedi in particular, uh, which brought in a, a you know, a long heralded character from the animated series, but just the way it is shot, the way it unfurls, the way that show has has, you know, built generally is, is very impressive. But that particular episode I think is the, the highlight of that show so far. Uh, that's an extremely extraordinary bit of television. The finale of Queen's Gambit as well, I thought was an incredible bit of television. Just some of the visual devices they use in those final chess matches. Like, and that's something about that show that, uh, I mean, again, we will get onto the show properly, but the use of, you know, interesting visual devices. And I think it really comes ahead in that final episode, which is playing that last game of chess and kind of looking up at the ceiling is 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 magnificent.
2: Well, my favourite, actually, my favourite, uh, I mentioned it when we reviewed it, but I still my favourite scene from that whole... Um, miniseries is the hotel room scene where she goes to see the guy her kind of you know the the the, the mysterious guy who's Kind of getting obsessed with her, and you just don't know what's going to happen, and you think it's going to setting it up that there's going to be some kind of sexual encounter between the two of them. Um, and and it, uh, I think that scene is absolute masterpiece of character. What scene is this? It's a scene in when when she in Las Vegas hotel room. Oh oh yes
0: yeah. okay fine yes I do know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. it
2: took me a while there. Yeah, but yeah. I mean it's, a, it's it's just an intimate two two hander scene in in a hotel room, um, but it's so. Beautifully yeah. modulated it subverts and scripted the expectation, it like, yeah, Completely yeah. doesn't go where you think it's going to go.
1: Can we? It's only just finished. Um, but I want to give a special mention to The Undoing, which yeah. <laughs> we reviewed yes. on this podcast and we uh slagged it off and took the piss out of it. <laughs> and we talked about how um, uh, it was kind of like a weird 90s thriller, it was really heavy handed, it was really trashy. All of those things are absolutely (sighs) correct and weirdly, And I dropped it. I came on this pod. I was like, oh, God, it was rubbish. Amazing actors. Why would you do that to them? And then started (laughs) to watch it casually at home. By the time it came to the finale, I felt like me and the entire country were watching it. um, Half in horror, half because we were completely and utterly hooked. And there is a scene with a helicopter. And if you've (laughs) seen the finale, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's utterly, it speaks to every single element of this being deranged and and completely out of control. and, oh, my God, that was, I'll tell you what, it led to a moment, one of the few moments this year where I felt like I was watching something along with pretty yeah. much half of the country. It was intoxicating at the end.
2: Well, I was so excited about um, the ending that I stayed, I watched it live 2 a.m. as it went out. You know, they put it on at 2 a.m. as it went out in the States because I, I couldn't wait to to watch what happened. And, I have to, and there's been a lot of debate about that, the, the finale, hasn't there? Some people were uh, annoyed at it. But I I thought it was fantastic because it kind of, it just, It gave you those moments, and there wasn't only the helicopters. And Sarah Phelps, I think, on Twitter just put the helicopters (laughs) exclamation mark. But every other moment in that finale, like just Hugh Grant's deranged um, expressions on his face throughout, (laughs) incredible. There's so many brilliantly funny bits in that finale. I love commitment.
1: I mean, somebody did an amazing montage of Nicole Kidman's eyes looking surprised (laughs) because she was just like, "If you can't see me, because this is an audio thing, but." uh, Her eyes in it are amazing. I could choose from any one of 35 eye shots. And the commitment that this show gave to being trashy as all fuck cannot be underestimated and should be respected and rewarded.
2: And Donald Sutherland's cocksucker speech is one of the, was also a highlight as well.
1: Oh my God.
2: I have yet to see <laughs> the uh, finale of The Undoing. I'm saving oh, it for over Christmas.
1: Oh well, no, what? I'm going to okay. because I haven't watched. The that's um,
0: got watch review it. So on your part. I'm saving it for Christmas. Fucking. <laughs> because yeah. I don't have you this year. I need something. Um, oh so yeah, that's it's it. very you, isn't it? It has got yeah. that. Yeah. That, it's that, got
2: it's that my Christmas trash. <laughs> yeah, it's the you of the year. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm avoiding spoilers. The one thing I will also give a shout out for is the episode of Killing Eve. Are you from Pinner? Not. I must emphasize because it's good, but because I am, in fact, from Pinner. Now let's move
2: on.
1: Oh my God, are you joking? That no. entire thing was so you could that's tell hilarious. that shit joke. Yeah,
2: that is brilliant. And you can't move on yet because I've got another one. I you, to are,
1: you are the <laughs> That is dreadful. brilliant.
2: I love that though. Yeah, that's great. What that
1: about? Uh, uh, I'm kind of stealing this, but what about Dominic Cummings in the Rose Garden? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, that was that, a good that moment was of the year. That
2: was great TV, yeah. Um, in the Guardian's eight, list. Episode eight of Better Course Bagman. Anyone who's seen it will know. Um, I, think I have heard it was that's an incredible set piece like you know cuz because Bet- um breaking bad was known for episodes that were like these like little a mini movie in themselves mm-hmm. and this was the one i think of the whole history of petical so sort of i thought it was um Vince Gilligan wrote it, and um, it was basically this extraordinary, tense thing um, as as he's sent out into the Mexican desert, and it's, uh, yeah, just it it just summed everything brilliant about that show. If ever people say, oh, is there one episode of a show that will convert me? Because Vertical Soul does start slowly, we'll talk about it later, as a whole thing, I think, but then you could just watch that, even without knowing. I think you could watch the episode, even without knowing the previous 40 episodes or whatever <laughs> that lead up to it, and you'd still realise it's a brilliant little piece of filmmaking
1: and just two quick moments from uh, I Hate Susie one of which is the uh, masturbation episode yep. which is also yep. episode four i think
0: yeah um, i think you'll find it's episode five
1: and the second one is the first episode which to this day remains the most anxiety juicing um, <laughs> yes. episode yeah. of television where yeah. she, it's the whole set around the shoot yeah. and ev- i've only watched it one more time since because i physically can't take it it's mm. i I think it's such a brilliant piece of direction um, from Georgie Davies, the the director who just made it so intense and the mounting tension and anxiety. I think it takes such skill to do that. It makes me never want to watch that episode again, but a fantastic piece of filmmaking.
2: I, I, and absolutely, and that scene is the single most accurate and authentic depiction of what we do as of, of that element of what we do, like t- doing a photo shoot with a celebrity in a magazine that I've ever seen, and it's so brilliantly done and having been to so many of those things myself and and like who are all these people who are all these like random stylists, reps photographers assistants assistants to the assistants of the celebrity and everything it was it's so brilliantly done Uh, yeah absolutely that first episode is incredible
1: apart from that journalist had way more control than any journalist who's ever been (laughs) to do an interview
2: yeah maybe Right, Got away,
0: right, didn't. right. With that appetiser out of the way, I think it's time for the main event. So, the Pilot TV list of best shows of 2020. We should talk a little bit about the science of this list for a minute. So, the Empire Films list, as I pointed out on the recent Empire podcast, requires our collection of esteemed critics to each submit a sealed list of their ten favourites, each of which is counted, tallied, totted up using a mathematical formula to provide an unassailable list of the best films, much like the Oscars pilot on the other hand comes down to the three of us yelling at each other on an hour-long video call and whoever's still <laughs> alive at the end of it seems to get their own way a little bit like the national television awards but after much screaming quite a few tears and i'll be honest toys being thrown quite liberally from prams uh, we did finally come to consensus on what we three believe are this year's highlights there was blood there was sweat there were tears I'll get into the reasons why as we go along. But let's kick off now in reverse order with number 20. The 20th best TV show of 2020, a lot of 20s in that sentence, is this country.
2: Yeah, I think it's fair to say you um, threw your toys out of the pram. Particularly I was unhappy at this with one. this being here. But that's just because you, as we've established through however many years, you do not understand comedy. It's a I real don't. problem because every comedy <laughs> in this list, you're like, no, we don't have that, we don't need that. You know, whether it's like the greatest comedy of all time, David or whatever, you're like, no, I don't get it. No, it's 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 painful. So this country genuinely regarded. But I mean, we don't have to agree with the, you know, with what yeah. the general culture no, is saying. But true. in this particular case, genuinely regarded as one of the greatest comedy TV comedies of recent years, Charlie Cooper, Daisy May Cooper, Daisy May Cooper, by the way, particularly has had an incredible year. Not only this, but she's like been on Celebrity Gogglebox, which I know you love, James. <laughs> oh god, yeah. And Taskmaster, and she was in that Dickens film. Uh, what well, you know, and she's she's just everything she does is brilliant, and she's become one of the best personalities around she's done these like um instagram videos of her and her daughter as well just sitting at home having an amazing time so she's like an icon and this show that was this kind of um faux documentary very much office style you know that that thing of uh, very much sticking to the faux documentary format of you know listless people in the countryside that you barely ever see people who are growing up in the countryside you don't really ever see that kind of um world and it took that and it flew with it and it just became this beautifully um, written and acted thing that was really I and mean, people say this about a lot of comedies but in this case it's so true it became it was really moving the character of the the vicar was the key to that his kind of lovely relationship with these two this kind of unlikely um, friendship that particularly with him and Charlie it's just, it was just brilliantly done and the the final series the last ever series hit all the high points of emotion and and, and just very quietly became this really really sweet moving and brilliantly funny thing okay
1: can, but can i just point one thing out which is it isn't just that james doesn't understand comedy <laughs> it's also that he doesn't really have a proper grasp on the realities of working class life in this country <laughs> oh, yeah. and that. so you put together A depiction of a working class community in a working class family. You put that together with comedy and you literally have James looking at it going, I don't understand, what is this? Who are these people? (laughs) What is this reality that they exist within? Um, I will say the only reason I don't think it's higher is because um, A, it feels like a lifetime ago because it was kind of pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Or right at the start. And then um, I I thought it was gorgeous and beautiful and I think we disagreed a little bit over the final uh, final episode, Boyd. And I think I felt a little underwhelmed by it. Yeah. And I don't know if it's if that's unfair because you always expect the final season and especially the final episode to be the most special and incredible thing ever whereas this deliberately the final episode was like just any other episode almost. Um so I found it a little underwhelming but I still believe it is one of the greatest British comedies of recent years and I'm I'm with you on Daisy May Cooper. Finding her on Instagram when lockdown happened was yeah. the finest thing that happened, and her videos got me through the first like sixty days at least. I used to go and hide in the bathroom I had a newborn baby. I used to go and hide in the bathroom when I needed a break and watch Daisy May Cooper videos sat on the floor. Amazing, um, yeah. Good times,
2: yeah, brilliant, yeah. That last episode, I think it was just understated. I think that was the whole thing, wasn't it? The brilliance of the show is that it kind of, it, 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 it kind of. Had these really really funny things in the middle of a generally downbeat, quiet, understated, very British way mm. of dealing with everything. But yeah, it was it was incredible.
0: I will simply state: I don't understand its appeal. I don't see where it's funny. My issue with Fremdshyman has uh, has been long documented. But I find this quite upsetting to watch. Upsetting? Oh <laughs> yeah, my I can't God. deal with that cringy humor. It's just I find it excruciating. <sighs> it's that whole thing where I gravitate towards having to crawl under the sofa, uh, and I just I no. Just, it's a whole world of no. We've had, so. the,
2: I know we've had this discussion before. Does that include the Office, the original Office, which yes, I don't like office?
0: it? Yeah, oh this is enthusiasm. I don't like it. Fucking yeah. Uh, Alan Partridge. I often can't watch it. Alan Partridge. I can watch slightly more because uh, Alan Partridge is slightly more disconnected from reality than a lot of these shows. Um, in the and uh-huh. there's some, it, also <laughs> I may or may not identify with the main characters slightly. I don't yeah, know. I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't watch Alan Partridge, but I can watch it more than I can watch a lot and of these other, other shows. And you are Alan Partridge. <laughs> and I may or may not be Alan Partridge. But <laughs> that aside. Right, at 20, this country then. Moving on to number 19 on the list, which is the new season of The Crown. Which my mum thinks is well boring, so she will not be at all pleased to see this at number nineteen. My oh mum my thought it was
2: fucking brilliant. I mean, those aren't who's <laughs>
1: that? Yeah. we get but on, but I'm, respected mum's to argue yeah. this out. Do it. <laughs> okay, so let's what what we should cover off is is the recent incredible intervention by Oliver Dowden, I think <laughs> oh, the yeah. culture secretary, who felt it really important in this time of great national crisis <laughs> to point out that Netflix really should put a disclaimer on this drama saying that some of the events of this drama are (laughs) fictionalised. Because, you know, there are many, many things wrong with this country in this year, 2020, and apparently one of those things is that fucking people don't understand that there are fictional (laughs) and fictionalised things in a fucking TV drama. Yeah, so I think this is arguably after last season fell a bit flat for me there were a couple of standout episodes, but this really was for me the crown back on excellent form. Um, and there were two major additions this year, as we know. We had um, Gillian Telforth has Margaret Thatcher.
2: You- Gillian <laughs> oh, That's amazing. Goes. that was brilliant.
1: Who the fuck is Gillian <laughs> Telforth? Gillian Telforth is <laughs> Kathy from East. <laughs> He's got you- called giving a boyfriend a <laughs> blowjob in <laughs> a land Rover
2: <laughs> You've got to keep this in. You've got to keep this in. This is that's brilliant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, two major additions this time. Obviously, Olivia coleman was back as Elizabeth. Tobias Menzies, incredible as Philip. Helena Bonham Carter, um, Joshua Connor as Charles. But we did have um two newbies: Jill- Gillian Anderson as Thatcher, who I just thought she was incredible as Thatcher, and then Emma Corrin who played uh, kind of the younger Princess Diana, Elizabeth Debicki, is going to pick Diana's story up at the um, next season. So I thought this had all of the kind of amazing ingredients you want from The Crown, proper drama, some of it fictionalised, incredible actors, costume and hair done brilliantly, the production values are still sky high, Um, absolutely gripped in this. And I did all of them within a 24 hour period, which I kind of think I, I may have made myself a bit nauseous with it, with doing it, <laughs> but it is impeccable drama. And there were a couple of real standout um, episodes within it, but. The Crown back on top form, and I'm even more excited about the next season when that comes around. I just hope that Netflix remember to (laughs) mark the occasion by having a disclaimer on their (laughs) drama that there are going to (laughs) be fictionalised moments in their TV drama.
2: It's a measure, yeah. I I mean, I have issues with The Crown, but you know, like I think some of the some of the scripting is 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 very clunky, and I think you know sometimes his he takes liberties you know, with the facts that are unnecessary in a way. And I think they encourage the whole Oliver Dowden army, you know, of like, mm. he sometimes he, he basically, it's, sometimes he'll, t- he'll kind of twist the chronology and all of that. And I just think, what's the point of that? But, Having said that, it's a measure of just how effective and how brilliantly enjoyable The Crown is. that As soon as I finished, and I watched it probably across two days, ten episodes, I was bereft. And I was like, please, can somehow they've mm. made the next series already, secretly, and can we watch it in a week's time? Because it's so addictive. It's so... it, it Just the pace of it and the 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 way he does pick out certain stories and ideas over others that is his genius I think um, you know and we're talking about the scenes of the year somehow even though Charles is an absolute prick for almost the entirety of this series the way he treats Diana is awful and appalling but the scene where he's with Mummy in the palace yeah. with the fireworks outside oh is, was beautiful and incredibly moving um, yeah. so that is I I do think there is genius there yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's the writing, but also those performances. Josh O'Connor mm. putting the humanity into Charles is quite something because, as you say, he's really cruel to her and very dismissive. Um, he's carrying on a very blatant affair with Camilla, um, played by Emerald Fennell. But he gives him this humanity and that scene in particular, you're right, it is that's one of my scenes of the year, and both yeah. he and Olivia Coleman, without really much dialogue at all, all it's all in a look they give each other and, and you know, fireworks reflected in their eyes. It's, a, it's an astonishing piece of telly. And when I finished this season, <laughs> I then went and watched three random Princess Diana documentaries. Yeah, because, a lot of people did, Because yeah. to your point, I was craving more from those characters and from that world. And I think the, the point of The Crown for me was always putting the humanity into the royal family, remembering, because we see them as objects, we see them for what they stand for and what they symbolise. Seeing them as human beings who have their heart broken, who make mistakes, um, who have issues with their parents, all of those things has always been the great accomplishment of the crown that he's managed to make these figures feel like flesh and blood to us. And I still think That's the most remarkable achievement at the heart of what The Crown does.
0: And I think that's maybe the reason why I don't quite connect with it the same way that you do, because I have absolutely no interest in the royal family at all. All Mm. I really see this has is posh stenders and for me that that's fine but Downton Abbey does it better Shakespeare's uh, like, posh
1: stenders though that's everything do you know what yes. I mean, it Shakespeare's is Shakespeare's
0: poshy stenders and iambic pentameter like that has a yeah. whole other level to it
1: <laughs> but everything is right because ultimately at the at heart of all drama whether it's stage or film or tv or whether it's a soap that goes out on BBC One or a performance at the Royal Court it doesn't make a difference because fundamentally it's about the relationships between us as human beings and you're a human being who still has a poo, whether you're the Queen or <laughs> whether you're Cathy. Gillian Telford. I agree with all <laughs> of Jillian this. Gillian Telford.
2: <laughs> but I do
0: think it's better in space.
2: <laughs> but it's not. But by the way, James, I love Downton. But it's no way is Downton Abbey better than this. I mean, this oh, is, honestly, shut your face! N- you no, Mr. Carson the would be face. just upset to hear this. He'd be no, distraught. No way. <laughs> it's like it's, like it's like Downton, but times a hundred. It's so much better. Yes, and I love Downton. Not, yes, it is. No, you've I'd got to watch more of it. I think you'll enjoy Downton it over the Crown because I think it's Downton really
0: leans into its soapiness, and that's why I love it.
2: Oh, so does the Crown. <laughs> I don't think you realise how soapy is in, in, in a brilliant way. All right, all right, all right, all right. Well, The Crown is at number
0: 19. At number 18 is the 367th season of Curb Your Enthusiasm.
2: <laughs> and my
1: tenth. enthusiasm, let me
0: tell you, boy, tenth. is
2: well and truly curbed. The 10th season. Is it? Um it was brilliant to have it back. I mean, everyone, every listener to this knows how much I love this show. So I'm just overjoyed that he's still doing it. I mean, you know, it he, 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 he takes him a few years for each episode, each series. <laughs> I just love this series, the whole, every idea of it, the Spite store idea that people are opening stores next to each other just out of Spite um, was the kind of on running um, theme of it. And, and one of my favorite episodes of the year to, to go back to that was the episode with John Hamm, um, who playing himself, who'd been cast as a Larry David type character in a movie and followed larry around to be more like larry and ended up being exactly like larry too much like larry and that was one of my definitely one of my um uh tv highlights of the year loved it yeah i mean it's
0: not my sense of humor but even i can see it's it's well done it's just it's i just don't enjoy it no and and Fine. I don't believe Terry does either if I'm right in saying
1: no she's uh, very
2: conspicuously no, silent actually, no, we I reviewed the first uh, episode I thought i like I unlike, did, unlike yeah. the
1: first episode I've watched it on and off over the years um, I can't say I'm massively engaged with it or watch much more but I know how much Boyd loves it <laughs> hence yeah. why it's on this list <laughs> right. yes
0: yes Boyd argued vociferously to keep this on the list and to be fair I think he's probably right I, I'm more than willing to concede that it's just my own Peculiar Peccadillos that stop me from appreciating this. But that cannot be said of number 17 on our list, because at number 17 is season two of The Boys. And this is not only, you know, one of the jewels in Amazon's crown, but it is uh, one of my favourite shows of the year. I thought this was brilliant. Like It built perfectly on what they set up with the first season. Uh, It got up to a little bit of a slow start. There's a disproportionate amount this is spelt underneath like a pawn shop uh, because they're in hiding. But the thing with the boys is it's extreme. It goes to great lengths to be over the top in its use of language, in its use of gore. It really tries to push the envelope and they did that really well and part of that was through uh, the addition of Aya Cash as Stormfront who I won't tell you anything about her character for it is a spoiler. But her and her pairing with Homelander is shocking and surprising and compelling and all of these things and you know the, the, the Jack Quaid as Huey like his relationship with Annie with Starlight played by Aaron Moriarty kind of deepens in this episode as well we also get to see a little a little bit under you know we get through the armour of, of Billy Butcher of Carl Urban's character as well and see a bit more about him the most caustic man on television and deliverer of more sea bombs than I think any other human being alive but uh, the finale of this season was was, was quite something to watch. I loved it. Now, boy. Now, when we reviewed this, you two were a little bit lukewarm on it. But boy, you yeah. you saw the light, didn't you? You I came did, yeah. to, to the boys.
2: Yeah, it was a bit of a. Uh, I mean, it's not quite the West Wing, but it was. A, it was a. It was a, <laughs> no, it was a semi-James conversion. James inspired mm. conversion. I. I, not, I actually didn't like it. I actually found it really irritating. Oh, you um, actively disliked it? Wow. I, yeah, pretty much. I, I mean. I appreciated appreciated the um, technique and the filmmaking Mm. and all of that um, because it looks incredible and it has, uh, you know, it looks like they've spent a zillion dollars on every episode and and everything. I just found it a bit pointless. I found it, I couldn't get the heart (laughs) of it, to the heart of it. And I think it was um, those characters that you're talking about that changed it for me because I did, I think once you realise they are kind of, dealing with like fascism and um you know that the kind of the ideas and themes of it became more 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 important to me and i cared more about Um, a couple of the characters as it got Mm. more on. I think it was episode four. I think it was episode four again that really got me involved in it. And from then on, I was with it. And as you say, the finale was fantastic. So um, I am now on board with the boys, yeah, and I wasn't before. Yeah, which is because like the boys and the Umbrella Academy obviously were
0: around the same time when they first launched. Similar, And it's interesting to see how far these have diverged. Like Umbrella Academy, I I watched all the way through. It was fine. And then season two remained Fine, And I think this started built to a really good point and then built on that with season two. Yeah. I think the boys think is absolutely yeah. flying. I think
2: they're both very self-consciously flash and shocking. Yes. And, those mo- and, and, and um, we had a show recently reviewed where I felt the same thing that I felt was too slick and too self-satisfied. But actually with the boys, I was like, I, that stopped bothering me. Halfway through the, se- the second series, whether it's still carried on bothering me with the Umbrella Academy, and I know there are people who swear by it, Umbrella Academy and absolutely love it, so want, at some point I'm sure I should give it a go and see if that happens as well.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, I think sadly I'm done with Umbrella Academy, but the boys, I cannot wait for that to come back. And I remember at the end of season one, I was desperate to get into season two, like absolutely desperate. And same with the, you know, with the finale here, it really does uh, leave you wanting more. So the boys then at number seventeen, which takes us, you know logically, to number 16, which is the final season of Schitt's Creek, the surprise Emmy-sweeping monster, which has been critically acclaimed this year, much to my amusement.
2: Yeah, Schitt's Creek is one of the... So this is like... I mean, it's another comedy that you just are never going to get, are you? I mean, but, you Okay, okay, but just let's, yeah. let's
0: dig down a bit. So, so the yeah. thing about Schitt's Creek is shits Creek is one of those comedies, you know, like be it Parts and Rec or whatever, where people always say, the first season's rubbish. Although with Schitt's Creek, a lot of people say, oh, the first two seasons are rubbish, you've got to get to season three. And I'm a bit like, I'm sorry, I cannot sink, like... 25 hours into something before it gets good now mm-hmm. I watched the first two episodes of Shits Creek and found it painfully unfunny but by all accounts that's quite a common reaction and you do have to stick with this
2: to get the most out of it do you think that's true Boyd here's what Here's what I think I think that it doesn't I, I, I think the series becomes brilliant on season 3 so I, I, so you I, do I, have to sit
0: through two years of no, it before it gets don't.
2: Good. No, 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 you don't, because the difference between the sitcom like this is, I mean, there is an arc. Schitt's Creek is a, is a, is a classic sitcom formula, like Parks and Rec and like Seinfeld and all these shows. It, there is an overall arc, and that and, and actually the particular arc of Schitt's Creek, which is the relationship between David and Patrick, um, mm. who, who, who that the finale is them getting married. This isn't a spoiler; everyone knows this. Um, that so he arrives in season three, Patrick as a recurring character. And it is from then on, I think that the show has the heart it needs to bind together the brilliant eccentricity and the flat-out goofiness of the whole thing and all the all the all the crazy goofy over the top characters but it's mm. given this heart by this relationship this slow burn of a relationship between these two guys that then becomes the absolute central focus of it from kind of season four onwards but you can you don't have to watch seasons one and two if you don't want to it's a sitcom you, so get, you can just jump straight in. jump straight in it's not a fucking drama where there's like you don't understand <laughs> it's not like a sci-fi it's not like the I'll miss the layers, you don't need boys. a recap you don't need a fucking complex recap going previously on for twenty minutes on Shits Creek. Yeah. It just go straight in. You'll get it. It's okay. it's it's a world where so the premise is so simple that this family of previously very wealthy, wealthy people, you know, she was a soap actress, he was a businessman, they lost all their money, they moved to this shitty little small town called Shits Creek and and uh, and and buy a motel and, and then go from there. It's about the the brilliantly funny, eccentric characters. Mm. And um just think of it as you Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Dan Levy, Annie Murphy as as the as, as the sister. It's it's the it's the performances that mm. are so brilliantly kind of at some points over the top. Catherine O'Hara, honestly, her pronunciations are <laughs> giddily hilarious. The way she says "baby" is, and there are you know montages of her saying "baby." <laughs> That will, that will, I think, <laughs> entice you to the comic genius of this show. And Dan Levy's Dan, character, David, is a historically important character because he's a gay man who is he's an un, unabashed, camp, over-the-top, bitchy gay man who, on one level, is a stereotype, but he absolutely blows that cliche away and becomes this fully three dimensional fantastic person who marries this dream boat of a guy who uh, falls in love with him, and that whole relationship is so brilliantly done and that and the and the and and the finale that wedding again it, it mixes slapstick with um with silliness jokes about happy ending massages to <sighs> incredible extraordinarily pleasurable effect and I think the reason why it became such a phenomenon i'll stop banging on about it in a minute and one all those emmys is because it's a feel it's a proper it makes you feel so happy watching this show it's a it's a massive and in this year of years perfectly timed i think people just loved the experience of watching and taking them away from their troubles because it is it's a really romantic dreamy show that is fucking funny all the way through from start mm-hmm. to finish It must be said, I am a huge fan of Dan Levy. I think he's hilarious. Uh, Happiest
0: season, this sort of festive film that he's got out, which is on Amazon at the moment, is genuinely brilliant like it's so funny oh my god James! Uh, if you like that, that
2: film and his performance in that film you have to fucking watch
0: Shit's Creek okay 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 look it feels to me like Shit's Creek then just Shits for season one and two Creek comes after season three yeah. and I, I will think, try and jump in at season three
2: I always say the title does put people off I think they think it's going to be this really stupid piece of thing because of that title but forget the title is the title it is it is a miraculously brilliant thing there we end. Shits Creek then at number 16. At number 15.
0: Home. Rufus Jones' glorious, glorious sitcom. This this fills me with joy, this does. I absolutely love it.
1: I mean the festival, Marmalade Festival. <laughs> the Marmalade episode alone. Festival. Episode two. And I think we talked about it at the time. That one episode contained three amazing little set pieces the likes of which if you had one in an episode you'd be like oh my god that was a great episode of television and yeah. that episode alone had like three or four and you know let's let's be honest right it's down to the writing um by rufus jones but also yusuf as sammy is just humane and empathetic and beautiful mm-hmm. and funny and what a character he is and what a performance um, and I think that's this is one of the shows that, that is in danger of getting forgotten about because yes. it was towards the top of the year but I remember at the time. I mean, the fucking scene with the yucca plan. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
0: that's that's a scene moment, of the year, right there. Wasn't it, right? That is a scene of the year, right there.
1: And I remember how we all were when we saw that scene, <laughs> and our, our WhatsApp blew up over that yucca oh, plan. Yucca. Um, I think it's I think it's such beautiful telly, and I really hope it doesn't get forgotten.
0: Yeah. it's a Channel Four show, and I don't know how many people have seen it, but I genuinely, this is one of these shows where I think it slips under a lot of people's radar, especially because I think it dropped around the same time as Sex if i remember rightly which i guess it kind of eclipses it in terms of profile but this is it is incredibly heartwarming it is topical it is pointed but more than anything else it's extraordinarily well written and really really fucking funny and this is me me saying this like this has me properly laughing i just think it, it's so sharp and it's so clever but there's real real heart to it and as you've both said yusuf is is extraordinary as sammy um yeah really really love this genuinely thought it was actually better than series one and i didn't think that mm. was possible so home go and watch it it's only six episodes they're half an hour each there is no excuse for any of you not to have watched home. yeah I, I i would like to endorse that message <laughs> i'm boyd hilton and i approved this message um right we've just almost tipped our hat to it prematurely but at number 14 is sex education which i i mean i love this i think do i love this more than any other show on netflix maybe mm, i yeah. may love this more than the witcher which is actually saying something are
2: you, are you oh, saying more than any show that's still going on netflix you mean Well, yeah obviously yeah, like yeah yeah, yeah yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not sullying the OA, okay. yeah, I'm just saying. Just make it clear. But, yeah.
0: Sex Education is a phenomenal show. It's phenomenal because of the way it deals with the issues that it that it addresses. It's phenomenal in the way that it's incredibly funny and well written. The way it has this sort of Almost fairy tale vision of what this sort of school environment is. The way it sort of feels like it's set in England. It's in this posh building, but it's like a, a state school. But it feels like an American high school. It's like, what is this? Where is this? It's a very, very strange setup, and yet it all hangs together incredibly well. I think Emma Mackey is fantastic in this. I think Asa Butterfield is fantastic in this, and uh, and Gillian Telforth is of course excellent <laughs> as, uh, as Asa's mother. So. <laughs> Oh, God. Do
1: you know what? I, lo- I remember loving this, but I also cannot remember pretty much anything about it. Because it's early in the year.
0: Well, this is this is why I sonna mm. had to bang the drum for this, because I think one of the problems you do get with things like this and home is when they do come out early in the year, you forget about them by year-end lists. And this was fantastic. One of my big, you know, things that will get me anxious at the beginning of next year is that sex education has been delayed, as everything else has, by, by COVID. So we will not be getting this at the beginning of next year and we will have to wait a little while for it. And, you know, this ended on a, on a proper cliffhanger. I loved the the development of the relationship relationships between uh between otis and mave in this i thought nakuti gat was uh his his arc the whole thing he has with Connor swindell's magnificent it's it's just so good and again i think like home it's oh, not yeah. just really funny and really 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 well written it's also really touching and it feels like emotionally honest and profound and there's something about this that takes you to a kind of warm and fuzzy place do you know what I mean like it really like it's so heartwarming to watch uh, and also you know there, there's a particular moment where Otis is drunk at a party which is almost unwatchable but then there are also moments that make your heart sore like when all of the girls go together with Amy uh, on the bus with her to get her back on the bus and get her over this this you know sexual assault essentially which has happened to her on this bus and it's such a wonderful moment beautifully shot I, I absolutely love this show Love it to
2: bits. I really like it as well. I think I think it has got quite a unique um because you're you're right. On the one hand it's it has these um very uplifting it's kind of a celebration of diversity and it? sexual, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, ambiguity, gender, all of that. It deals with all of that fluidity to mm. use that um, word, um, very, very well. And it depicts that world of teenage current it feels very, very you know, up to the minute this depiction yeah. of all of that. But at the same time, um and, and you know, you one you could call it even sentimental sometimes the way the way kind of, you know, it wraps things up. But it has these incredibly sharp um, no-holds-barred depictions of all that stuff as well. Each episode opens with a pretty full-on uh, sex scene. It really does. <laughs> yeah. and, and it, it doesn't, doesn't shy away from it like, away. There's a whole exactly. thing on anal douching. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for mentioning that, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Terry's face. Terry's face. Oh, oh we've got to the anal douching segment <laughs> yeah. of the podcast. Uh, yeah, when we... Let me
1: just get out my list of uh, top ten anal douching scenes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was not have to say, none of us were expecting James to say those words. <laughs> In this podcast, but know. you know, worth it. Well, but, yeah.
1: ex- expecting, coping, yeah. you know,
2: Dealing with you it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that in the West Wing. You um, don't get that in the West Wing. So, yeah, I love it as well.
0: As well. <laughs> it is magnificent. It is magnificent. There's a, there's a whole analogy with an orange in there that I certainly recommend that people watch. <laughs> uh, but yes, sex education at number 14. Netflix is sex education. I, it occurs to me, I should have probably been mentioning all the way through this where things are available to be seen. Obviously, say such questions is on Netflix. Home is channel 4. shits crete is Netflix. The boys is Amazon. Kirby Enthusiasm is. I want to say Sky. Yeah, Sky. Sky now Sky. TV. Yeah.
1: Sky Crown is
0: on Netflix. And this country void is uh BBC. BBC iPlayer. It's BBC. It's on BBC iPlayer. Okay, so that's and we'll we'll do the rest going forward. Okay, now at number 13, we have Ricky Gervais's afterlife season two
1: you see i um i loved this actually i think more than season one and what I appreciated about it was, it was, I mean, God, there were still moments that were so close to the bone, slash, hmm. completely questionable. Um, uh, in true kind of Ricky Gervais style, there's very little that he's afraid of going near when it comes to comedy or drama, actually. But what I really appreciated about this is if everyone remembers the end of season one, it ends in a very optimistic and hopeful way. And when you pick up season two, he's still really struggling. Tony, who Mm. Ricky Gervais plays, who lost his wife Lisa to cancer, he's still hugely struggling with grief and with depression. And that really kind of sets the tone and the framework for season two. And I think you may have been forgiven for thinking... End of season one. There's this happy new future laid out for him, and and that's what was kind of going to get stuck into in season two. Season two really emphasised the kind of true nature of grief, how you can feel like you're moving forward one moment and actually be back knee deep in it another moment. And and he really pushes Gervais really pushes into the proper darkness of that kind of grief about suicidal thoughts about about how ugly and boring depression can look like when it's a day in, day out thing. And I I think that's actually what makes it really special because there's probably a prescribed season two which would fit a normal TV series. And this would be the bit where he moves on with um, Emma, who's the nurse uh, played by Ashley Jensen. It just doesn't happen in that way. And I think that makes it one of the most realistic and true depictions of suffering grief that i can remember seeing on telly and i feel like it got a bit of stick at the time like people were a little bit split on um how successful season Two was and I don't think it was flawless or or perfect, but I didn't need it to be. I just thought it was really good and really, really fucking funny. There's an episode, there's an episode with a theatre production, an amdram production, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which was just genius. It was really funny, but also really moving. And I just I I loved season two. And as I say, for me, I think it edged the first series.
2: Yeah, I thought it was even better. Yeah, it was. It was the funny bits were funnier. The moving bits were more moving. And I think mm. he also, on top of what you're saying about the, the depiction of grief, which which was deepened, that he gave the. I think he's really got this ensemble of characters mm. that he can. They are like you just love watching them. And they're so like Penelope Wilton, Ashley Jensen, Tom Basden, uh, Kerry Godliman, Mandip Dillon, Joe Hartley, Rishin Connerty, Diane Morgan. They're all given so much. Paul Kaye as the psychiatrist. Mm. His <laughs> <Yeah>. scenes. <laughs> (laughs) Were fucking hilarious (laughs) this time. The world's worst psychiatrist. And those and I think he's really got something here with those characters. Because he could, you know, he he famously always stops doing his shows after two series and a special. You know, The Office, all everything, extras, everything. But this I think could go on for years and years because he you really want to see more of all of these characters and one of them given more stuff to do as it goes on. Afterlife is available on Netflix. At number
0: twelve, we have feel good on channel 4
1: oh well you know i bang on about this all the time and i this would be top 10 for me i just think may martin is such an incredible writer and actor she obviously plays the lead in this but she's just so brilliant at kind of observations and how to write um relationships and how to write real fucked up people um charlotte Ritchie plays george who's the um girl she's in a relationship with the we mentioned it earlier but the blackpool episode Mm. with lisa kudrow lisa kudrow is the mom is just genius the the toxicity and granular detail of their relationship she so brilliantly sketches why and how that relationship is so fucked up. Um, and you know, I have to say Charlotte Ritchie as George oh. is just so brilliant. And it's so funny. It's again, it's really moving in parts. That Blackpool episode I found incredibly moving. The final episode is really, really emotional, but also it's really funny. Mae Martin is a funny, funny, funny woman. It's so the the writing i really think is flawless in this and i've watched the entire series four or five times Oof. this year it's just i i it moved me in a way that i was kind of not necessarily surprised about but i wasn't expecting whether it's the stuff about um Gender or sexuality, or about being in recovery and in treatment, or just about, you know, the reality of being a, a stand up on that kind of mm-hmm. scene um, about addiction. It's got kind of all of these issues with a capital i but actually the real treat of this is in the the details of of them as people Mm -hmm. and in in their relationship um you know the scene with the like strap on like which which was actually (laughs) a scene about an emotional thing in their relationship but the whole thing takes place while she's got a you know strap on and it's right there and you're like I can't remember the last time I saw a scene with an actual strap on.
0: Again, you don't get this in the West Wing.
1: You don't get this in the West Wing. Yeah, yeah, loved
0: it. it. When it lives up to its title perfectly, doesn't it? It's a really feel-good show. It's same thing. What we talked about, like, the sort of uni- unifying DNA across, you know, home, sex education, and this, is they're, they're things which are genuinely funny with a very profound emotional core to them. Mm. Uh, I've always, you know, as you know, like, my whole thing about uh, comedy is I like it when it juxtaposes well with drama, and I think that mm. worked really nicely here. You're so invested in, in you know, May's recovery mm. and her relationship and her issues dealing around this sort of, like, you know, anxious... Attachment thing she has, with Charlotte yeah. Ritchie, who has this sort of avoidant sort of, um, you know, is she straight? Is she not feeling yeah. with her? And the will they won't they? Will it work? Should it work? Is it healthy? Is it actually toxic? It's kind of hard to say at times. Yeah, uh, it's incredibly nuanced, very very layered. Uh, and Charlotte Ritchie's character George in this wins the prize for having the most extraordinary collection of bell end friends of anyone on television oh. this year. So oh, that uh, fair play to her.
2: Yeah, that episode, Pinky, episode in, particular. in particular. Yeah, Ophelia lover bond is, is yeah. great yeah. in that. In that, that Role. Binky. The is Binky's <laughs> best friend that makes it terrible. Yeah, I agree. I think what what it, it had the confidence, I think, to not worry about being funny even though it absolutely is a comedy. Clearly yeah. it is a comedy, but it had the confidence to not, wor- not worry about having gags at the mm. moments where it's really dramatic and emotional. And so there's key moments where there you know, I think there's there are episodes where you know, half this episode will be won't have any jokes at all, practically, and it won't be trying to be funny. And I and I and I actually remember reading and listening to comedians talking about how oh, you know it's not really a comedy, but who gives a shit? It's 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 just a brilliantly observed. And I think it is a, a romantic comedy. I think in the end it is yeah. a six yeah. part three hour yeah. brilliant romantic mm. comedy. That isn't afraid to have these great moments of dramatic observation as well. Mm. Yeah, she, she, it, she is incredible. She, she co writes with Joe Hampson, who's been her best mm. mate for like years and years and years. And I think they've they done an incredible job. But it doesn't try and adhere to that, all, you know, we've got to have X amount of jokes every so and so minute. Mm. It
0: doesn't do that yeah. at no. all. Like, it's funny when it needs to be funny, it's serious when it needs to be serious. Uh, you know, and Charlotte Ritchie obviously gets a lot of acclaim for her role in Ghosts, which is a very popular and good comedy. But I would say, you know, this is the better show. So watch Feel Good.
2: Well, it's a different show. Ghost is a more traditional sitcom that you wouldn't like because you don't like traditional sitcoms. You twat. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, that's fair. That is fair. Thank you, boy. That said, Charlotte I still Ritchie, think. Yeah, I Thank still you, think. Boyd. Charlotte Ritchie. Let's just say it. We've said it, she is the most incredible actor. I mean, if mm. uh, well, Have you, well, you haven't seen think,
0: Fresh Meat, watch that as well. I mean, she's excellent in that. Not just
2: likable lovable in every single thing she and does who gives a
1: fuck about being likeable or lovable here we go she's, here we go she's dead good <laughs>
0: <laughs> all you needed to use Boyd, there was to mention hot mess and you just yeah. said off, no, that's we. your that's your one I'm not yeah that's now. my one i'm sure we'll have some hot messes later on anyway that is feel good at number 12 at number 11 we have dennis kelly's the third day Arguably the most ambitious thing that's been on television this year or probably any other year.
1: Yeah, I mean, this really is... I feel like this is on the list because it's utterly deranged. So I think there's there's an ambition to this, which is interesting. As we know, it was kind of set in, in three parts... Um, with a, well, the second part was really this live event in the middle. Obviously, it had been dreamed up to be um, a much bigger public um, live event that actually wasn't streamed or anything like that. Mm. This was by Punch Drunk, um, Felix Barrett, who runs Punch Drunk with Dennis Kelly. This is kind of their co brained idea. And Jude Law was in the initial um, episodes, which was summer. Um, you then have the live event, and then you have winter, which had no Harris. And the idea was always that the big kind of set piece in the middle would be a first in TV, as in this event where members of the public come along and, and take part in this thing. Obviously, COVID happened, which meant hmm. that the show got put back in the schedules. And then I think in the end, it was decided, you know, they'd still have this immersive theater kind of experience but obviously the public just couldn't turn up due to social distancing blah 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 um and it it was on all day um there were various members of the empire team well one member of the empire team who watched it all day i followed him on twitch and it mainly just seemed to be Jude Law crawling in around in a load of mud and shit Um, something about having a cross on his back like jesus but i think this this really spoke to a unrivaled amount of ambition and just this crazy incredible innovative idea to bring tv off the screen and have a real life um just i suppose performance which people could actually go and get stuck in on um Mm. and i think whatever you think about it, and I don't think it was flawless necessarily um, as a piece of television, but it was really out there and really committed. You know, Paddy Considine in a, the kind of role I can't remember seeing him in, and he's not an actor known for taking you know quite traditional straight roles. It was incredibly bold and different and interesting, and I think as an idea, it's arguably one of the grandest and most ambitious things we saw on screen this year.
0: Yeah, I agree. And even if you take out the live event, like just the first three and the last yeah. three, just the ambition on there, the fact that it is so deranged and off the rails and surreal and compelling and also beautifully shot as well. Yeah, it's it's quite an extraordinary thing.
2: Yeah, I would have had it in my top ten um with or without the 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 live event element of it. And and I know mm. it was I mean it was pretty much conceived by Felix Barrett first. I read an empire, an empire's coverage of the the live event. Um, the extent to which he, the whole thing was was built around that central idea of doing some kind of theatrical, mass theatrical event in the middle of it. And there are very few um, genuinely innovative new things in the world of TV left to do, are there? I mean, but this was mm-hmm. one of them. It was completely incredible um, ambition to do it. But I really loved, as we were saying, I really loved just the the, the the normal in quotes, you know, episodes, first three and last three, which were deranged and I think crazy. And you just didn't know what the fuck was going on in a good way. Like, I love that. I love how um, Dennis Kelly does that way, just kind of plonks you in the middle of an absolutely seemingly incomprehensible situation and kind of fights his way out of it. Um, just, about, just about clinging on to some semblance of credulity just about in this one, in the <laughs> case of this one. Um, and you just really, on, on a purely dramatic level, you were desperate to know how it all played out and what happened to these characters. So I thought it was brilliant. Um, I, and, and I would pick out um, Emily Watson. I mean, Emily Watson, fantastic, alongside mm. Paddy Constantine. The, the mm. two of them together were phenomenal, but she was the one who ended up wielding the machine guns or, or the, the kind of rifles and um, I won't spoil any more about that. But yeah, I thought, I, I thought it was absolutely great. Loved it. Mm and I watched indeed. as much I watched kind of probably half the live thing I couldn't bring myself to watch, watch the whole thing I had to go out and leave the house leave the flat I mean some it's point. 12
0: hours long I mean uh, that's yeah, fair enough but
2: I watched enough of it to know that it was what an achievement and Jude Law deserves I don't know if he deserves an acting yeah. award he deserves some kind of medal <laughs> an, <laughs> an endurance an award, award. Yeah. an endurance yeah. award because he was like, stuck like one on of those tough mudder medals yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was stuck on a pole in the sea for about a fucking hour at least <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to all of us in his
0: pants oh god and uh, now you can't watch the live special anymore, can you boys? You can't the pick it up. It. After I think the there's fact.
2: a 90 minute um, version of it on, on Sky on demand.
1: Okay, there is also, I believe, on the um, HBO Facebook page, they had archived oh. the whole thing oh, okay. um, on the Facebook page if it is still right. there.
0: Okay, the third day then at number 11. As we enter the top 10, we have number 10, which is Sky's I. Hate Susie. Terry, you did not hate Susie, did you?
1: I did not, uh, James. I may have uh, argued quite loudly.
0: Insisted, I believe.: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely one. would not have any of it any other way.
1: <laughs> so this is um, was created by Lucy Preble, um, along with Billy Piper. Lucy was the writer as well on this, and directed by Georgie Banks, Davies. This, for me was just what this year in telly was all about it was so innovative so bold um so radical each episode was kind of themed and there were just a couple of such standout episodes the first episode we've already talked about building the anxiety and tension the entire episode dedicated to masturbation (laughs) and what gets her off um which is just not something you'll ever see. It's an entire episode of a show about a woman dedicated to her sexual appetites and needs. Um, Billy Piper was just incredible in this from start to finish. It was funny. It was shocking. It was emotional. It had the most realistic cocaine scene in a hotel room I've Mm. ever seen on television or film. Amazing Dexter Fletcher cameo in that episode where he, I mean, honestly, everything about that scene between them in the hotel room, all on drugs, it was just the detail in it was absolutely spectacular. I loved it. I found the last episode super emotional. Um, You know, you've got to think the whole premise was just that Billy Piper's an actress um, whose life's kind of upended when her phone is hacked and... Compromising pictures of her with a man who is not her husband are leaked onto the internet. And you think, with that setup, you kind of know what it's going to be, but it's kind of about that and not at all. It's about fame and it's about um, motherhood it's about being married it's about women's sexuality it's just brilliant and the writing and I have to say Lucy Preble I think is, is an astonishing writer but the way she writes this character um, both kind of her life um, as everybody else sees it but also what's going on in her head is just genius. Um, I loved every single second of this. And when it was over, I was bereft. <laughs> bereft, bereft, bereft.
2: And a shout out to, I think, um, I mean, obviously Billy Piper was incredible in it, but Layla Fazad as her um agent and best friend uh was incredible. And we you know, I keep saying how brilliantly authentic it was. Because I, uh, yeah, the Coke scene in the hotel, I've already talked about the incredible set piece opening photo shoot scene. But everything that Leda Farzad did as an agent for a celebrity rang so true. And that relationship where you are friends with someone and also it's up to you to kind of handle their life is so beautifully observed, so brilliantly. I've seen that those situations so often. I just absolutely loved it. And it was, and it was incredible how, you know, the episodes would change, um, would change style and format, if you like, from episode to episode. Uh, it was incredible. Yeah, a brilliant achievement.
0: It is very good. Um, I, yeah. yeah I, and as we have discussed earlier in this podcast, that very first episode, one of the most stressful half hours of television I, think I can remember ever having seen. So, uh, <laughs> but a very, very good show there. Uh, that is I Hate Susie on Sky. At number nine, then, we have a Netflix original, specifically... The Queen's Gambit. Who'd have thought Netflix could make a seven-part show about chess, (laughs) one of the most compelling things on television this year, and yet they managed it. Anya Taylor-Joy is spectacular in this as chess prodigy uh, Beth Harmon, and genuinely, for a sort of a period set, sort of 1960s set show, about an orphan playing chess, this does not immediately strike you as the kind of thing that would sort of, oh, must, must watch the next one of this. And yet, incredibly compelling Beautifully shot, and again, we've referred to this already, but the visual uh, ingenuity at play here, how they make her brain, how her interesting slightly odd way of looking at chess how they visually manifest that and how they express it is extraordinary but also what's good about this is it doesn't matter whether you like chess it doesn't even matter if you understand how to play chess none of that matters at all it's just really compelling and they they find a way to make a each chess match in this show feel different and you know unique in and of itself but they find a way you know like you can enjoy rocky without really caring about boxing they Mind this for the drama and the emotional highs and lows. And there's enough that they explain, you know, broadly speaking, what's going on. Oh, she's doing this. This is risky. This is a risky thing she's doing. That You don't need to know that the knight is going to Queen's Bishop Four or whatever it is. You know, and the chess is sort of the device it's built around, but this is about the character. It's about her emotional journey from this orphanage and the relationship she has with her, you know, emotionally unstable mother who kills herself in the first episode, you know, and how she comes to terms with that and how she grows as a person, how she relates to other humans, often not well, and her substance abuse. Uh like it's it's a very sort of character driven show. I absolutely loved this. I found it completely compelling. And the finale of this, I think, was one of the best episodes I've seen this year. I, I thought was is entirely magnificent
2: yeah it's so interesting she's she's the opposite of a hot mess yes because yes. she's a she she does all those things she's a she's addicted to various things to drugs to tranquilize she's brought up in a children's home where they give they literally tranquilize <laughs> yeah. them every day uh, along with a mother who's who's an alcoholic a lot of the women in the show are are mm. who's have you know need drink and need this stuff in their lives to cope but she is a brilliant, genius chess player who thrives, who needs to take drugs really for yeah. her to 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 keep that going. But she's a Sherlockian no, heroine, really. Yeah, but in no, she's so that leads to her being able to be incredibly controlled and to unleash her chess genius. Mm. I thought it was such an interesting idea. It's full of so many interesting ideas. The relationship between her and her mum, brilliantly played by the film director Marielle Heller. what an incredible yeah. bit of casting. I think when you get that kind of casting in a show it make, it shows you how special it's going to be and I think there on so many levels um, this was this was a really really surprising thing that came out of nowhere almost like you know just this is the thing that Netflix does best you know it will yes. give you yeah. an, absolutely uh, out of nowhere absolutely yeah. out of nowhere beautifully made lavish tens, gazillions of dollars seemingly spent on it quite <laughs> rightly. And given and Scott Frank, who created and directed the whole thing, um, given clearly given the creative freedom to do it however the fuck you wanted to do it. And it has completely captured people's imaginations. You know, like my mum was like, oh my God, you keep going on about this chess program in heat and but I don't know anything about chess and I'm not interested in chess and she watched it and loved it. And, and I it think it doesn't that matter a lot.
0: at all. Yeah. Chess to the max. Okay. That is the Queen's Gambit at number nine. At number eight. Better Call Saul, which, Boyd, I suspect you're going to have to lead on this. I oh, will sorry. concede that Better Call Saul is probably a masterpiece. Uh, everyone is telling me it's a masterpiece. You yourself has berated me for not keeping up with it, and I absolutely will do at some point, but go on. Tell us why everyone should be watching Better Call okay, I'm Soul.
2: not going to bang on about it too much. Just to say that it has it's it has got better and better and better. This was the fifth season. Incredible when you think about it. I think when it started, you thought the idea of a prequel to Breaking Bad, which depicts how Bob Odenkirk's character becomes um, the character he was in that show when he starts out as a kind mm. of very low-level um, <laughs> law- lawyer, shyster lawyer in, in quotes um but it's become its own fantastic thing every bit really every bit as good as breaking bad in so many ways and you know the key of to it the absolute heart of it is his relationship with um kim wexler played by Rhea Seahorn, the most underrated undervalued major star of a tv series i can think of she unbelievably wasn't nominated for an emmy which was outrageous and she is the beating heart of the show and their relationship these two flawed human beings she's a lawyer as well and the and And, you know, she kind of loves this kind of, on one level, this absolute goofy idiot who keeps making the wrong decisions about pretty much everything that happens in his life. (laughs) She is the only right decision perhaps he's ever made, but their relationship is so finely honed and brilliantly done that that is the real magic, I think, of, of Better Call Saul. And the thing that makes it different, I think, from breaking bad. Yeah, it is it's routinely held up as being as good as, if not better, than breaking bad,
0: which seems yeah. blasphemy on so many levels. Yeah. And yet so many people say it, there must be some truth in it. So there is, yeah. Better Call Saul at number eight, and Better Call Saul is viewable on Netflix. At number seven, Skies, Gangs of London. Arguably the most violent thing on television. <laughs> <laughs> now this is a this is a, a hell of a series from uh, from Gareth Evans and, and Matt Flannery. Um, and as you said, episode 5, which is one of if not the best episode of television from this year, super violent. Loads of great performances in this, but I think standing out above all of them is Sope Derisu, who is kind of a revelation when he appears in the first episode of this. Uh, Just extraordinary from the the emotional depths that he brings us as Elliot in this, but also the physicality of it. Because especially in that first episode, the choreography of those fights are full on, like cringe-inducing brutally violent and he just cruises through it. it the way that this has its ups and downs the way it, it has no you know it has no qualms about breaking its rhythm of like going off and doing episode 5 and then coming back to doing that that wonderful episode that follows afterwards where you have Michelle Fairley sort of torturing someone in the house you know with this music playing like it, it I mean it is a show that I think front loads its strength I think it you know it peaks with 5 6 is great but I think after that it, it, you know it doesn't quite reach that height again but uh, yeah this is this is a really really great show.
2: Yeah, I I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I love the ambition of it. That it, it is a deranged show as well. There's a lot of shows um in our top twenty that we could call you could call deranged in a good way in the sense that they're not limited by the normal bounds of what one yeah. might call realism. maybe it's coronavirus. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's bonkers. Like I actually loved the last few episodes. You know, those exploding tower block, massive buildings, and you know, let's not forget that and. Um, I, I I kind of like the more crazy it got and by the end of it it goes down a completely mad rabbit hole it and does. setting up the second series um, and I, I can't wait I, I I love that I love how kind of mad it was and um, Joe Cole as well one of the best things Joe Cole's ever done incredibly watchable um, in this show so yeah I, I really loved Games of London in fact I might watch the whole thing again soon <laughs> because you have that kind do. of time Right, Gangs of London at number seven. At number six,
0: a show which aired in the US last year, and I wondered if we were ever going to get here, and we finally did towards the latter half of this year, is High Fidelity, which you have to dig into Star's play to see, but it is absolutely worth your time doing so. Isn't that right, Terry?
1: It 100% is. Um- I love this. We all love this, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're all furious. It's been cancelled. Madness. Just absolute fucking madness. And it is obviously um, the show, which was based on the novel that the film was then based on, starring John Cusack. And obviously the big thing that everybody focused on when it was announced was the kind of gender flip in that Zoe Kravitz was playing Rob, um, the owner of the record store. David H. Holmes was playing Simon, um, Devine Joy Randolph and Sharice, who was one of her, the employees um, at the record store again, obviously a woman um, as opposed to Jack Black's character. What I'd say is none of that really fucking mattered. Yeah. Like, that that was the initial talking point, but it wasn't about that ever because, I mean let's start with, with her, right? Zoe Kravitz, fuck me. I think she's remarkable anyway. Was brilliant in Big Little Lies. Um, but the difference of Rob in her hands is really interesting. And it was always kind of a question because that that character was always quintessentially the music sn- i mean it's like empire but for music right <laughs> in that like it's the music snob kind of guy who wears the leather jacket and thinks too much about everything and is massively elitist um and turns up his nose at everybody and everything um and the way she changes this character subtly but she's incredibly cool um in- incredibly kind of dry but also really really soulful the relationship between her and sharice is an absolute thing of wonder and glory um and there's just like there's a musicality to the show there's a lovely rhythm to the show i loved being part of this world that they created um, I thought it was done really brilliantly and things were, were lifted like wholesale in terms of um, dialogue, um, you know, the top, the way they did the top five heartbreaks, mm. for example, but it felt weirdly so fresh and so new and so different in such a wonderful way. And I just, I adored it. I think I watched all of them over two nights and absolutely loved it. The filmmaking, the performances everything and still you know to this day have no idea why he wouldn't do a season know, two of this I
0: know it's just such a great show and just you were so invested in her and her life yeah. and the emotional sort of resonance that it had you know Kingsley Benadier was so good as Mac it yeah it was it, and, and as you write the music was w- sort of woven into the DNA of the show it became like a mm. tangible part like a character in the show as it should do as it is in the book as it is in the film and it just works so well, and I think it's perfectly cast all the way well, you through.
1: You root for her, right? You root for her so, mm, much, so much, as Rob, as you know, it's... fuck
0: up that she is. You really, really yeah. do root for her.
1: <laughs> you root for, her and you want to be put like I wanted to be in her living room with her. I wanted to be in the record store with her. It was like she was such brilliant company as a character. I loved spending time with her. Loved spending time with c- her.
2: The cancellation of this show. Is the most grotesque cancellation decision since the OA, the mother of all grotesque cancellation yeah. decisions. It's why? I mean, why did they, you know, couldn't it be it that expensive? Make sense. Yeah, it's I was about like to say, it's sense. not like it cost as much no. as the OA. So. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any, it, absolutely infuriating um, that, that they got rid of cause it because I was so looking for it, it was such a great watch incredible
0: well there is only one season of it but you can find it on stars play here in the uk and we highly recommend you do high fidelity then at number six at number five terry white's favorite show of (laughs) 2020 the one the only devs (laughs) (laughs) devs which if terry had had her way would not be on the list
1: no i i've been can i say i've been very magnanimous. (laughs) you of like, you know, I said Dev should be top five, even though yeah. it's dog shit. Yeah. And also, to be
2: fair to you, to be, to be, to be fair to Terry, I was going to say actually, I uh, the, the issue of Empire, the current issue of Empire, which has a, a brilliant uh, TV, I have nothing to do with it, this TV um, retrospective. I commissioned
1: that feature.
2: Right. You've, Devs is one of the main features. There's a brilliant <laughs> yeah. feature, I think, by Alex Godfrey, right? Alex Godfrey. About um, the creation of the show. So um, I, I, I'm very appreciative of the fact that Terry's put her personal... Um, uh, taste wrongness. aside yes. wrongness <laughs> slash taste aside to uh, because it is devs is my favorite of this kind of show and, what and, and by that i mean a kind of you know a, a, a wildly ambitious philosophical sci-fi epic since the oa and it is it is it for me it shares a lot of dna with the oa in in, mm. in its ambition and it's and it's craziness and the boldness of the storytelling and the beauty of it i mean it looks phenomenal and in that feature um it it, it talks about how they, they created this massive set for the for the devs um development part of the of this huge big company this massive big tech company um and and they actually created a proper set of this golden shimmering world where these where this the incredible ideas take place um, within the story. And I loved all that. It looks incredible from the giant statue, this massive mm. statue of the girl, the daughter of the guy who runs the tech company, um, this huge big... It just was an, an immediate, amazing visual coup. And every single episode looks incredible. It has genuine mystery to it. You, you absolutely want to know what happens next. And the scene, another scene of the year, on the edge of the dam, where this kind of where it delves oh into, yeah, it delves into, you know, free will. Is there free will? And that's because, you know, it's a hoary old idea of free will, you know, it gets talked about in all kinds of shows, Doctor Who, the OA itself. But this way of dealing with it and explaining it and delving into the philosophical nature of free will is so brilliantly done. I absolutely yeah. love devs from start to finish. And I love the fact that it is in our top five, quite rightly
0: no I I agree with you I think on the one hand it can come across in times as a slightly cold and cerebral experience early along but you (laughs) yep and I didn't like Nick Offerman and fuck that shit (laughs) correct but the thing is and I genuinely think if you press on with it I think there's a real emotional causes and I have to say it: the emotional core of this show is Nick Offerman it seems like an odd thing to say and I can't really say why until you watch the show but the whole point of this is that it is an examination of the human condition, and to talk about, you know, determinism and the nature of the universe and free will. But, but there's an emotional human core at the heart of that. There's a reason for all of that, and it's a very human reason. So, while it is kind of cold in its premise, I think the execution gets to the humanity of it. You know, it delves into simulation theory and all sorts of things, and it's shocking and surprising. And it's really kind of, I think, hard <laughs> to properly sum up. Just it's something you almost need to experience. I know that sounds wanky, but it's true. Like, it's a really sort of hypnotic, sometimes, you know, experience like it's haunting i think it's one of these things where ultimately it's you get to the end of it and it's been a very it's been time well spent it's a very rewarding experience i think watching this show i love the ending and i was
2: worried about the ending from the word go i was like is this going to be one of those shows where they fudge it and they don't (laughs) but he does not fudge it and i love the way he got he 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 did dealt with that i thought it was fantastic I agree, and that the
0: damn moment in particular it raises so many questions it really does, yeah. and it's fascinating the way it, it it gives you answers to some of those questions, the way it expresses those answers, uh, you know, and about how someone who, on a quest for truth, can be so resistant to truth when it's staring them in the face, uh, lots to love about this, devs, which you can view on, I think it's on iPlayer now, isn't yeah. it, wasn't it, it was yeah. on iPlayer yes, you yeah, can it was view on BBC- devs in its entirety on yeah. iPlayer yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, we are well into the top five now, and we're coming into number four. And this is the one, this is the way, it's The Mandalorian. Now, interestingly enough, at our half-year review, The Mandalorian was quite a bit lower. And I think the first season, The Mandalorian was very solid. I think it was... A really interesting, innovative way to bring Star Wars to the small screen in a way that actually showed up the more recent cinematic output. However, when season two of this show kicked off, it raised the bar so high, it's almost stratospheric. As in, season one was great. Season two is is extraordinary, and so much so that season extraordinary. Ex- <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs>
1: extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary
0: thank you terry anyway anyway genu- genuinely parody aside it is one of these shows where it starts with a bang and every episode of season two of the show has been better than the last to the point we think well it's peaked next week it's even better it's peaked next week it's even better it's peaked it's incredible and it's not just incredible i mean if yes okay it's mainly aimed at people who love star wars there's enough in jokery and reference in there to write thesis on but what they did in in capturing this sort of uh, faceless gunslinger (laughs) in the Mandalorian and this child his bond with this child this lone wolf and cub kind of dynamic and the fact that baby Yoda has been scientifically created as the cutest being in the known universe it's just extraordinary. And the appeal that it has beyond Star Wars fans and you've got Baby Yoda for kids, Like, there's so much in this show that I can't help feeling that The Mandalorian is solely responsible for Disney Plus as being a phenomenon because it is just—it is by far and away at this time the greatest thing on that service. Uh, it, is, it is magnificent. I love it. We have an entire spoiler special run of podcasts dedicated to this show. Please sign up now, uh, glow.fm slash empirefilm. Yeah, I have spoken.
2: Yeah, I don't get all of the um, in in references and all of the references to um, Clone Wars and what the, whatever the fuck, yeah, whatever the fuck. I've never watched an animated thing episode of Star Wars in my life. I don't intend to start now, but um, <laughs> but I do absolutely love it, and I think I what I love about it is you do, I, I, the ambition of it is incredible, yes. extraordinary. In fact, extraordinary, mm, quite extraordinary. But because, <laughs> but I think <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. That's my
1: posh person yeah, impression. It's good. It's good. It's a fitting image,
2: Mark, of Lord, Lord James Dyer. <laughs> Lord James <laughs> Dyer of Pinner. Paul Downton. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is, the ambition is incredible. They were, like, I think, you know, there are episodes of this that feel bigger and more, mm. uh, have a bigger scope and a, ju- achieving more than the, the Star Wars sequels that we had, you know, recently. So it, it, I love the gigantic scale of it. And I mean, you know, they'll have massive spiders, that episode with the spiders of this season. spiders. Them, that's it. Um you just, it, it just gives you these unexpected, brilliant um, visual coups that are incredible all the way through. And, mm. and you really, really care what happens to the bloody baby Yoda. What's it called now? We know its name now. Grogu, baby Gro- Grogu. Grogu. Grogu.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, yeah, so I love it as well, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, in, in each episode, not all of them, but a lot of them are standalone as well. Like they are, they are, you know, complete adventures in and yeah. of their own right. And yeah. even when they're connected to the larger story, they they stand on their own two feet. It's yeah. I think John Favreau's has done an amazing job in a realizing this idea of the Mandalorian, but also in breathing new life into Star Wars. And let's be honest, after Rise of Skywalker, they were on quite shaky ground. <laughs> so I think, you know, fair play to him right we're into the top three now we're on the home stretch people the home stretch at number three we have skies save me two
1: no save me two there was a portion of the year where save me two was our i think collectively our our favorite show of the year such an achievement from lenny james um we'd loved save me the first season Saved Me Too just took it. I think we all felt from the first episode, took it to a completely brand new level. The writing. So mainly wrote by... Written. Wrote? Mainly wrote. <laughs> mainly wrote mainly by... Mainly I've gone
0: gone now, but I don't wrote, know what. i have done. Wrote, mainly
1: written. <laughs> wrote, um, mainly written. Mainly written by uh, Lenny himself, who I, you know has such an authenticity, I hate this word because it's normally misused, but here it's used entirely correctly, which Lenny James has a real authenticity in his writing. He he writes how people speak. And on those estates where this is set, um, in that part of London, he writes exactly as those people speak and it's part of what makes this season season and this show so grounded and so true to life. As we talked about earlier, there are some incredible standout episode moments in this second series um, around his daughter. And what's amazing is, you know, the the climax you're expecting towards the end, the kind of twist you might expect at the end or the, the development that you expect at the end comes much earlier and it, it really then digs into a whole new element of um, what she's been through, um, their relationship as father and daughter. I think his, his performance as Nelly is top season one completely. Um, I've seen the entire thing, I think four times, huh. and I still think it is on every level and on a real granular level just extraordinary television and we must mention that ensemble cast I mean obviously Boyd said a similar thing about Afterlife 2 but I mean this ensemble cast in any one of these people and Boyd made this point at the time and I think it's it's one of the really important pertinent points about this show is that entire cast of people who essentially all come together in the pub, and you've got the <laughs> likes of um Carol Kerry Godliman, who actually is in Afterlife 2, Barry Ward, Stephen Graham, um Susan Lynch, Jason Fleming. You've got this group of people and these rich, fascinating characters, and actually any one of them could be the lead. Any one of them could be the focus of this show. They're all incredibly well drawn. They're all fascinating. The way their relationships work with each other um, and they all get kind of their moments in this season where their story is focused on. But it never feels like your focus is split. It never feels like you're desperate to get back to Lenny in the main story. But they are just the most compelling Mm. group of characters. Absolutely fascinating. And it's one of the strongest thing about this show and the chemistry and the magic between them. There's one episode this season where they're doing karaoke in the pub (laughs) and just seeing them all together. And it takes obviously a a bit of a dark turn, as you would expect. and, And seeing them all together and seeing the chemistry between them it's just incredible. I want to go and watch it again now. I'm going to mm. leave this podcast.
2: Yeah. In any other year, I think it would be it would be number 1, wouldn't it? Like it's yeah. been such yeah. an incredible year. Yeah, such a just I mean we, we all loved season 1, but such a step up from season 1. Incredible ambition. Leslie Manville, I mean, you know, joining yeah. the show in a in a supporting role. She's not even in two of the episodes. Um uh, incredible and just the yeah, just the realism and the and the just unbelievably moving thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 incredible. It's it's heartbreaking. It's
0: intense, but it's it's it, as you say, it's, there is an authenticity. This you one hundred percent believe that you're looking through a window into someone's real life. Mm. It's so authentic, and it is harrowing, and it is shocking. Which is one of the reasons I'm sure Terry loves it. But it is yes. even I love the fact that it is quite bleak, but there is a core of hope to it. And I think Nelly himself, Lenny James, is that core. I think he's the beating heart of the show, and is magnificently written, magnificently acted. Uh, can't say enough good things about this. If you want more of this. We did do a spoiler special on Save Me 2, an interview with Lenny. It's not on this particular feed. It is on the Empire Spoiler Special podcast feed, uh, which you do need to subscribe to. uh, But it is worth listening to if you are a subscriber. So Save Me 2, available on Sky, and that is number three. Now, at number two, we don't have a number two. (laughs) Absolutely true. We have no number two. And the reason for that is we have a joint number one we had two shows that even after an hour of screaming and arguing and throwing punches at each other we simply could not separate and so two shows at number one and the first of those is Star Trek Picard. And I think absolutely we can all agree that there was no other... That, that's not the other not one is true. Star Trek Voyage. And the other one is yeah, Star, Trek yeah. yes, Star, Trek Star Trek Discovery. Yes, absolutely true. Star Trek Picard even. and Star Trek Discovery. Joint number ones. That's it. That was our review of 2020. This has been the Pilot TV Podcast. Live long and prosper. Pilot out. <laughs> no, none of that is true. None of that is true. We'll get on to the reason why neither Star Trek is in the top 20 a little bit later on. But our first joint number one show of 2020 is... Is... I may destroy you. Michaela Coles, I may destroy you. Terry, why should people be watching this?
1: Well, two, can I just have two points of clarification slash order? Point one, I get how you've mentioned I May Destroy You first, because then that allows you <laughs> yeah. to name the yes. other one yes. second <laughs> as and, and essentially that then gives the impression that that's really number one. Yeah. So don't I'll think that, that that. And the other point I'll make is when James said we couldn't separate them, we could, we just massively disagreed. So so Boyd and I um both voted for the same show for number one. James didn't and maybe arguably hasn't really watched the rest of the one that we want at number one. So the only democratic, and I use that word, very loosely (laughs) way we could resolve this situation was to have a joint first because we so both all of us so strongly had our number ones so it isn't that they're so close that you can't get a fag paper between them it's that we're holding completely different boxes of fags and
2: even though two out of the three of us the majority agree (laughs) It was Terry's suggestion it, that it we go my and join suggestion
1: first. Because was suggestion because James was so opposed to our number one that it felt inappropriate to to just force our will. Listeners, so-
2: imagine the Booker Prize, right, <laughs> where one member of the panel won't even read one of the fucking books, and so you have to have a tie because of that. Carry on.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't want anyone to think that this speaks to the dysfunction at the heart of the pilot team of podcast, <laughs> but I may destroy you, joint number one. So i mean we've talked about this and i've talked about it i think james wants at the end banned me from talking about it anymore because <laughs> I kept like five talking?
0: episodes running you've just done this 10 minute monologue about this show it's just like hey, no
1: it's good move on so here's the thing right is is shows that deal with a woman's trauma is is not necessarily in and of itself a new thing right there is a lot of art whether it's books or films or tv shows records that are about women processing their pain, when you look at the statistics around sexual violence and the number of women who've experienced sexual violence, it has happened to a lot of women and it makes its way into art. So this subject matter and the content on the surface isn't necessarily new. What Michaela Cole has done, which is new, is the presentation of that the actual content itself how she tells the story she wrote it herself directed it oversaw the editing like she has her fingerprints on every single bit of this show and that is because this to her was a very personal piece was a very personal piece of work she you know it all started she gave a mctaggart lecture which is the big tv lecture she was asked to give it I think it was 2017 or 18, and she gave it and she talked about how she'd been uh, drugged and assaulted um, when she was working on writing a show. Now, that ended up actually being replicated in I May Destroy You. As we know at the beginning, she is up all night writing um, a book draft that's due... And her friends ask her to go out, and Arabella, who Macaulay Cole plays, goes out to a club, Wait, comes to the next day in the office with a gash on her head and no real memory of how she got there or what happened. Through flashbacks, she um, figures out that she's been assaulted. So much of that sounds conventional, but this show was anything but. The way that she dealt with um, the aftermath of it, going to the police, the other characters... Um, around her so um, Papa Asiedu as Kwame is just you know an absolute megastar her friend Terry um, who was played by Waruchi Opaya those three what, what this show told you about Not just consent and assault and those things, but also about friendship, about sexuality, um, about the way that friendships are formed in your 20s, about what they look like, what they feel like, about how we're not always the best friends in the world. It's It dealt with so much above and beyond the trauma of the assault. Now, she did a couple of really interesting things, one of which is obviously we all know she turned down the Netflix deal because they wouldn't let her retain ownership of her work and, contr- and full control of her work. She ended up going with BBC and HBO and one of the um, things she also insisted upon was that it wasn't all dropped in one go. And Michaela's talked quite a lot in interviews since about why she thinks that binging isn't always the right thing, Um, as satisfying as it may be at the time, how she wanted there to be a particular pacing and rhythm to this. And I think that decision alone made a massive impact on on how this was viewed and how people felt about it afterwards. And she also talks about the fact it deals with really heavy stuff. And actually, she wanted a space afterwards for people to be able to process their feelings on it. The big thing for me about the show was the finale. The finale kind of, roughly speaking, dealt with three realities and three outcomes of her um, confronting the guy who attacked her. It shows these three realities, and within them, really, out there, interesting stuff happens. One's a more conventional narrative. One's much more kind of daring. One is completely and utterly mad. And the way that these three run in the finale... Is, is, I've never seen anything like it, and there are sh- shots and scenes and set pieces within that that are, and I, I don't want to say any more than that because it would be a spoiler, which are just extraordinary. Like, I, I that word doesn't seem like enough because I just think this show was so seismic and so important and forever, genuinely forever changed the way women's trauma is reflected on screen the way it's looked at on screen and also it needs to be said that this show was about joy as well it wasn't just unremitting unrelenting trauma the way it painted London she she goes to Italy a lot the way that Italy is portrayed the kind of moments of happiness and joy and friendship within this as well like I you know I Banged on about the show for five episodes on the chart, as you say. I just think it it is radical, truly, truly radical. And I feel like it's once in a generation television. I really do. And I feel forever changed by the show. And I think women who've been through sexual violence or have dealt with their own trauma will also feel like that. And the point of television isn't just to tell stories, it's to reflect reality, but it's also to change things. It's to change people. Um, And this, I think, is proper, proper soul-shaking, life-changing television. And it's television, it's it's finest and most powerful. The power within what Michaela called did i think will be felt for generations and particularly by generations of young women and young black women i just think it's 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 extraordinary tv and i honestly don't feel like we will see the full impact of it for years to come this is one that will be looked back on in in decades and in generations and people will be talking about this show as a classic, but also as something that societally is so important um, and and so impactful. And I think that will be proven out by the passage of time.
0: Yeah. Come and on I then, Boyd, top that.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I quite liked it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Terry says three stars. <laughs> uh, Russell T. Davis called it the single greatest piece of writing he'd seen in his life. Um, so I think... It is historic. It's a historic achievement. It's up there for me with the Dennis Potter, um, things that I watched when I was growing up and boys from the black stuff. You know, it's like a classic, as, as, as Terry says, society-changing piece of work, which is why it has to be number one. Um, we'll get that in there for a start. As um, much as I love the other show, we're about to get to joint number one. So for me, yeah, it absolutely changed the rules. And I think her refusal to play by the rules, both in terms of the drama and the structure of it. She goes off to Italy for an episode, um, suddenly, then she comes back, there's a flashback episode to when she was a teenager at school, there's um, there's bits of it that go out of chronology and interchronology but there are bits of it like a fantasy going on in her head and then she will somehow um, intercut episode four which intercuts between her having sex with this guy who takes his condom off halfway through and you're like oh what does that mean what level of what level of consent is there when that happens? And then whatever happens to him when he comes back to the story is incredible. And that's like, it's like, you know, she won't again kind of play by the judgmental moral rules of character. She won't punish a character, you know, if it doesn't make sense, if it's not within the uh, the realism of the whole story. And she intercuts that with this gay guy, with with um, with uh, his character having a threesome. And how that scene ends up is, a, is another, you've never seen that. Um, addressing that what happens between two men in a in a situation mm. um, in, in talking about consent and what happens to him and that's never been depicted as before as as much as I've ever seen in a show. And um, dealing with the nitty gritty of all of that and at the same time making it incredibly entertaining, beautifully filmed, funny, brilliantly acted, all of that, uh, it, it, absolutely incredible. Yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it, and I've watched it a few times in full. It's a show that bears repeat viewing because, because the characters, like on the, I, I remember that I think I, I don't think it passed James's Bell End test to start with. I don't think but, you like. Yeah. I remember you not liking anyone in it. I'm like yeah. by the end of it, they're flawed. Of course, they're all flawed, mm. and the central trio, this friendship between these three, they're all. I have moments where they're acting like idiots and and doing. And, and betraying each other essentially in some ways and being very self-absorbed. But that's absolutely how people are. And and it still doesn't detract from their friendship. And in the end their friendship endures. There's a I love this bit just a little bit where Papa Esiedu's Kwame says, I'm not a good guy. I'm not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And that how that resonates. And you just things like that. That's what makes it one of the best pieces of TV we've I've ever seen. So Obviously, in advance of this podcast, I felt I had to revisit
0: this slightly because um, I do seem to be out of step with the entirety of the human race. Now, when I first saw this, I obviously recognized it was a very well-written, very well-made uh, drama and it, that it was great television. My issues with it were partly, yes, Bell & Test related in that I disliked everyone in it. Um, however, having gone back to this and watched more of it, I found Arabella, Michaela Cole's character, grew on me, whereas I disliked her a lot in the first episode. And I think that really... I struggled with that. I just found it irritating, and I didn't like her. Uh, Weirdly, I found all her friends I liked a lot less as the show (laughs) went on. And I I know exactly what you mean. Like, the way this is constructed, the way this story spins out, the way it is told, it does feel... Different to anything I've ever seen before. Like it, it, genuinely does feel feel groundbreaking. and 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 you know, this is not my show of the year, but I I am perfectly capable of recognizing <laughs> that this is extraordinary television. Um, and I actually will watch the rest of this now, having now got more Ooh. into it. It's a difficult subject matter. Like I find this subject matter quite difficult to 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 watch. Like I, I find it, it puts me through an emotional ringer that sometimes I just don't need. But um, but I will press on with this just because she has done something pretty seismic. And as you guys. I say like this is landmark television i think even just you know in a professional capacity i kind of should have watched it um so uh yes yep. that is that is that is me kind of semi signing the endorsement on this one i made a you, which is available now on iplayer on the bbc which takes us to our other joint number one and although you know terry and boyd like are having it like yeah yeah it's actually picard and i insisted it was going to be here and they don't want it to be here it is not picard it is of course the bbc's adaptation of sally rooney's normal people which all three of us loved let's not pretend yes. this is just me yes. it is See, the thing with normal people is, like, I bang on about The Expanse, that you may have noticed, and things like that quite a lot. Normal people, for me, this was the most profound television experience I had this year. For It's a really simple story just incredibly told like it's a grand love story this is the story of Marianne and Connell who grow up in the same town in Ireland and it's their journey from the end of of secondary school through their time at Trinity College in Dublin uh, to their final year there and it is as they weave in and out of each other's lives falling in you know not quite in and out of love but certainly in and out of a relationship the thing with this show more than anything else and I do not have a wonderfully articulate five minute monologue like Terry has for it so I'm just going to make this up as I go along and just say the thing with this is that i have in my life never been invested in any relationship possibly even my own than i was in marianne and connell's relationship in this show there is something about this and it is partly the writing it is partly rooney's understanding of young love first love and relationships it's partly that sort of emotional purity it is partly the screen chemistry between paul Mescal and daisy Edgar jones which genuinely is unlike anything i have ever seen before and that is evidence when James Corden had them reading out random fishing reports or whatnot on his show, still in a kind of smoldering, steamy way that you just can't even get your head around. Watching this show, watching these episodes is a bit like falling in love for real. There is something about the emotional journey this show takes you on, which I have never encountered before. It was just so beautifully told and so honest and so human. And I don't know whether it's the romantic in me or what it is, but I was destroyed when this finished not because it ended on a sad note but because I was no longer a part of these two characters lives you know from the times when they meet when they're at school together and frankly Connell's being a Dick to her, you know, and Sarah Green does that wonderful monologue in the car, like telling her son he's basically being an unfeeling dick, you know. When they get together at at college, you know, all the various bits, the little, sort the, the, the Italian interlude when they sort of meet up on holiday, and it's a beautiful episode, beautifully done. This show is magnificent. I just think in terms of emotional truth. This show for me was like the gold standard. I've never experienced anything quite like it. There were no spaceships in it, there are no witches in it, there's no magic, there's no dragons. And yet, this is hands down the best television experience I have had this year and for quite some time.
1: I mean, you're not you're not wrong, right? It 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 was totally unexpected for me. And I remember watching the first two episodes and being kind of, you know, oh, this seems sweet and, and what a different way to show sex. It showed teenage sex as it as it really is and um, and then as it went on and I remember like I couldn't do anything other than watch it I couldn't stop thinking about it mm. I think I dreamt about it one night I, it completely consumed me and I think you're right about it is like falling in love watching this show it felt like when you meet somebody and you lose your head and you become completely consumed by that person and you see them everywhere and you think about them constantly. Every song reminds you of them. There was something incredibly powerful in how intoxicating this show was, which obviously was down to the performances and Daisy and Paul. And But something in the writing, something in the world they created down to how it was lit. It it just, they created this world that you loved being part of and these characters who you were desperate to spend more time with, and that's why I felt so bereft when it was over because saying goodbye to mm. those two people just felt devastating. It felt like breaking like up heart- with someone, yeah, it felt heartbreak. It, it was like being heartbroken and being left. Um, so I agree with you on the emotional resonance of this uh, in a completely different way to I May Destroy You, mm. but it it was so moving and so all-consuming, I remember the weekend I watched most of it and I sat with my baby who who uh, wasn't that old in bed and watched the entire thing and it, it, it was like being spellbound, it's just a world that I didn't want to leave and when they booted me out in the end I felt absolutely gutted and it was exactly like the death of a love affair. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think the key decision. Interesting, like in, in, in unlike um, "I May Destroy You," which was um, kept as a weekly serial event the BBC's decision to put this out as a box set in one go after when the first episodes went out on BBC One primetime Monday night 9 o'clock by the way which is pretty incredible in itself and I don't think it would have happened if it hadn't been for lockdown because mm. it's you know considering the nudity and the the you know the stuff when she gets involved in you know s kind oh of relationship um, and that stuff you don't see on primetime BBC so One um, <laughs> but they made the whole thing available in one go all 12 episodes and they, I think half the country well half the pe- people who watch this kind of thing became addicted to it and couldn't stop watching it and had to consume I'm the same I think I watched the whole thing in pretty much one and a half days, and it was the intimacy. I've never seen a draw a depiction of a relationship where you feel you are plonked like in the middle mm. of them, and you you're observing them and you're watching them and you're like almost like part of that what's going on. And you, it, it was so brilliantly directed. Um, and so uh, it, you, I cannot think of a better adaptation, TV adaptation of a novel than this. That uh, and the casting, the directing the script writing, the way that, just the way it's kind of, it quite, people thought it was slow. I remember people criticizing it for being a, very, a, a too much of a slow burn and lacking in incident. But for me, it was just so carefully paced. And that if you weren't obsessed with these two and fascinated by how it was going to go, I can just, Willing them because they kept having these mis- yeah. mistaken miscommunications. <laughs> it was maddening. So maddening, but so brilliantly observed, yeah. wasn't it? You know, they just one, you just need to say one thing, Connell, you know, when you're in the kitchen mm. with her at that moment where she's <laughs> you, she's going off and she's just yeah. one fucking thing, you idiot. And he doesn't. Yeah. And then it ruins everything and she goes off somewhere else. All of that was so brilliantly done. Yeah, I, it is incredible. The only, so the only thing, the only reason why I think it's behind I Major Street is because I think it is one of the best adaptations of a book I've ever seen of a really popular massive pop culture phenomenon of a book and be, as, as I could not imagine a more perfect thing absolutely loved it but for me it isn't quite as incredible and as original and unique uh, an yeah, achievement I think as I make story but it, is, it absolutely is. it was an incredible mm-hmm. thing I've used the word incredible so much in this podcast I can only... There's a lot of incredible
0: stuff on this (laughs) podcast, boys. I think you're allowed. Uh,
2: Yeah, it's just there is something about this.
0: I think for me, this is the way love and relationships... There's an honesty to this that so many shows, films books what it can learn from there's just something about this you know and the way those characters are so complex and interesting from you know from connell's sort of maddening shyness and inability to articulate anything to you know you know marianne's self-worth and how her family life and her mother and her brother kind of affect her ability to attach and bond with everyone in her life Like, there's so much going on in this Uh, i just think it's absolutely wonderful So that is our number one, I May Destroy You, joint with normal people, both of which are available on iPlayer. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. There were no fucking Star Trek on that list. What was up with that? (laughs) What was up with that, eh? No Picard, no Discovery. I'm devastated. I'm devastated.
1: We well, you got your way on pretty much everything else. So I think you know we had to regain a bit of ground somewhere. And to your own admittance, right? You, I don't think you yeah. thought Picard was without flaw. Yeah.
0: I think I, both of those shows, I think, are magnificent. I think Picard was a very welcome thing for me. Uh, you know, I think it was boldly done, but it boldly went, if you will. <laughs> but I do, it did sag in the middle. You know, and the ending wasn't perfect i loved it i loved the show for what it was but as you say it was not without its flaws uh, i think it's it's a great thing for trekkies and i think D- discovery is fantastic as well i think what they've done totally reinventing it and and broadening the palette and changing the tone for season three is great but again even though they've got this whole new timeline new new people they've got boundless opportunities for season three it has again as all Trek series are, let's be honest, it's been a little bit up and down. I still think season one was the best of Discovery. Uh, so, I, yeah, I was I was willing to concede that neither Discovery nor Picard probably do make the top 20, much as I wish that weren't the case. The new season of The Expanse, I would say, could be on this list, but I can't because it's embargoed until next Ooh. week. So you have to wait until next week's podcast to find out whether The Expanse was robbed for not being on this list. Um, but there are many, many other shows which did not make this list, which arguably should have done. Uh, for example... Terry, I'm sorry. Ted Lasso, uh, which is many people's yes. among many people's picks of this year yes. and was a surprising treat. Uh Jason Sudeikis, obviously becoming a football coach here in the UK. I hate football and yet I really enjoy this show. And you do too, don't you, Boyd?
2: Love it. Yeah. It's part of the oh, I I think it's a new movement of heartwarming, um, really uplifting and yet not bland yeah. um comedy. I think it's I think it's <laughs>
1: not bland definitely yes, not, bland. It's not, it's bland. not bland it's not, it's not bland. bland it's not bland would we go no, honestly,
2: honestly honestly it's Loved reason
0: it. to have Apple TV Plus and God knows those are few and far between at the moment given that the morning show and see and servant have yet to come back but um uh, what Servants else? Seventh
1: back in January. Yeah, back so in January. Not long ago. Exactly um back in unorthodox, yeah, unorthodox. Which was originally on well, was there were many versions of this list, <laughs> and there were some <laughs> versions of this list that unorthodox were on. And again, I think if we'd have been doing this earlier in the year, then it, it may have stayed on there. And it, it it was just, I think, by the volume of of properly remarkable telly that it didn't end up on the top twenty. But you know, at the time, it, it and it was one we kind of missed because Netflix didn't give us any advance notice, and it just kind of came out. And it was a proper word of mouth hit where people really, um, really were just captured by her story. Um, and I mean, there were again, there were beautiful moments in this. There was a, a moment when um, she first took off her wig and, and walks into the sea, and and as a kind of a um, articulation of of freedom and desire and escape and all of those things in one beautiful scene um it was really really phenomenal um and you know he's just just missed the list by a by a hair's breadth mm. width breath what's that saying
0: all of those things <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> yes uh also blood sophie Petzl's blood was on the list for a long time didn't quite make the cut but Caesar, series two of that was fantastic uh, what else? The Great had been on the list at our half year review uh, Tony McNamara's uh, slightly curious Catherine The Great show which we've had a few people writing saying this is the best show of the year it, it isn't but it was very good um,
2: <laughs> and it was weirdly very good. it's coming to Channel 4 in the new year and they are is promoting it, it by the way as if the Stars Play doesn't exist which I guess is fair enough because it's quite an obscure channel via Amazon Prime <laughs> yeah. but it is going to be on Channel 4 so free to wherever everyone can watch it I think in January well, that's good
0: news for people. That is good news because it is a good show.
2: Yeah. Uh, Stephen King adaptation, The Outsider, which was on Sky. Yeah. That was great. I really enjoyed that. I really liked that it was Until About adaptation. towards the end. I think I thought I went off the rails. Well, yeah,
0: you didn't love the Supernatural stuff no. as much as I did. But, you know, and we're getting season two of that, which I'm looking forward to as well. Uh, that's really I love the fact that Strike came back, Lethal White of Strike. I fucking love Strike. Uh, that was a proper, not a guilty pleasure because it's genuinely really good, but that was a proper sort of cockle warming, like, oh, I'm so glad this is back and I wish there were more episodes of it. Well, maybe that's not the right time. No. You know you know I mean like
2: it was, yeah, it was like I'm it felt like coming home <laughs> by it. I want to mention inside number nine which always gets left off because it's such a basically everyone just expects it to be um, brilliantly and clever and funny and smart and scary and everything and creepy but the series this year I absolutely loved it I loved the first episode about the referee and the changing room mm. with the football yeah, that, so, that was great that was really clever. good one of the cleverest things and that show gets often overlooked I, I would have it in my top 20 every fucking year but and I thought it was really really good this year and can I mention can I point out the Dracula starter on New Year's Day um, in 2020. And uh-huh. I know it went off the rails for many people in its third mm. episode. I know, but the first two episodes I thought were phenomenal. Yeah. And two and and loved it. I loved those. And they would be up there for me. The highlights that's of the so year. telling, isn't it? A
0: show yeah. that started so strongly because it ends so badly, everyone has now written off as that show was terrible. <laughs> and it's just well no, two thirds of it were fantastic. Yeah. Just one third yeah. of it was. And they was were 90 terrible. minutes
2: each, two 90-minute films, better than most <laughs> films that came out this year, for fuck's sake. They were amazing,
0: yeah. I want to give a shout out to Homeland, the final season of Homeland, which I thought was really, really good. That show really went out with a bang. Uh, loved that. I think a lot of people gave up on Homeland in the middle of its run, but it was very much worth coming back to for that final season and especially the final episode.
2: I remembered so many more things last night as well. Lovecraft Country was amazing. Mm. It was variable, but episode five of that, which was the one where she shapeshifted and kind of, if, if no one's seen it, it was incredible. Um, absolutely brilliant, Dave. Which I know you probably both hated about the the white <laughs> Jewish it. rapper. Yeah, Generally, genuinely, genuinely. Oh Dave is incredible. Absolutely, no, it's phenomenal. you have to go back. You have to go back. to having it. none of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mutila- the way the episode about where he deals with his mutilated penis, honestly, <laughs> fucking unbelievable.
1: I worked in men's mags for years. Like, I that 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 thirty minutes was like my no. life in a decade oh, in thirty minutes of television. I don't need to hear any more knob gags. The Kemps. I've had my f- All right, you'll agree I've with me with you'd
2: agree with me that the Kemp's, the Martin Kemp, Ah, oh, yes, Kemp, the was one of Very the good. most purely pleasurable hours of yeah. TV of yes. the year. Yeah, genuinely
0: great. Genuinely. Jonathan Tropper's Warrior, which is still ongoing, that's one of my highlights of the year. As well, the most recent episode of that is one of the most violent things I've ever seen up there with gangs in New York violent. It was Quite something. Um, what's it got his Dark Materials, obviously came back. You know, I know you two aren't huge
2: HDM fans. I love it. I'm loving this series. Oh, Um, good. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm absolutely loving this series. I think it's really brilliant. The second series, a big, a big improvement. I mean, I enjoyed the first series, but Mm. I'm really loving this one. I think it's fantastic. Andrew Scott is a huge, brilliant addition to it. In all things, in all things, things. yeah, he's great. Um, Uh, Criminal. We forgot about Criminal Criminal as well. Those four
0: episodes were were pretty
2: outstanding. Um, quiz. I really like the three-part quiz, quiz thing about yes. the millionaire. Yes, 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 um, yes, she wants to be a millionaire. Uh, story. I, I love the trip to Greece. The trip. Huh. I know people, but those two, Rob Reithen and Steve Coogan, can carry on doing that as far as I'm concerned for the rest of my life, and I will always love it. and It will always be one of my favourite things. Mm. Defending Jacob,
0: I loved, which was an Apple TV Plus oh, yeah. show. I know that again, that got kind of mixed reception, but I really, really loved that. I found it incredibly compelling. That was one of my uh, my my fun shows of the year. What have we got? The Good Place ended this year. I don't know if you remember the finale of oh, The yeah. Good Place. Oh forgot about uh, that. Whenever you're ready, it, again, a show that had its ups and downs, but was very fresh, very good at reinventing itself, and that final episode really touching, really beautifully thought through and wonderfully executed. I thought The Good Place really ended on a high. Yeah, it was, the the finale was brilliant. Yeah. What else? War of the Worlds. So War of the Worlds is something, obviously not the War of the Worlds, the BBC one, which was dreadful, but War of the Worlds, the Fox one, that French co-production with Daisy Edgar Jones in it, which I often think uh, is the unofficial sequel to Normal People. <laughs> <laughs> what happens after Connell goes to New York? Aliens arrive and Marianne gets chased. Um, but uh, I I thought that was genuinely really good. Like it properly sucked me in. I can't wait to see. So I think I think it's continuing. I'm pretty certain they've got a second yeah, season for that. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely yeah, is, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really want to see what happens with that because it was batshit, but it was really... Bl- Leak but Very very
2: compelling Like that I really liked Homecoming season 2 Which not a lot of people did But I loved it Yeah <laughs> Just so. Not so much okay. Myself <laughs> um, so,
1: The Pale Horse <laughs>
2: wanna- The Phelpsy, a pale, oh, Horse, yes, the the Pel- Horse. pale Horse Oh the year, yes The Pale Horse We absolutely pale loved Horse that very good. That was brilliant Two part yep, two yeah. I want to
1: mention The Nest Which yes, was the, the Martin was Compton uh, Pregnancy Thriller Drama On a BBC One Classic Sunday Night Viewing
0: Yeah, I want to mention Breeders As a show that you Should not watch
2: Oh no it was uh, great Yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> but trying, on the other hand, I definitely th- think you should watch, which was the uh, the Rafe Spall comedy. Uh, I thought that was good. That's Apple TV Plus as well, isn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, what well, else? Westworld season three no, I enjoyed. I did. We I are we now
1: just are we now just listing yeah. no. any show that Westworld was on in 2020? Season three, no,
0: three picked up no. Steam. Actually, Westworld season three was not a bad show. It is not the same show that one and two were, but it's more coherent than season two, even if less ambitious. And I enjoyed the new settings. Actually, I, I liked Westworld Season 3.
2: I've read more than one um notable like newspaper and magazine TV ruse of the where they've li- listed were of the worst well just fine FII. fuck them
0: that's what I say um,
2: what about the English
0: game that was surprisingly good given that it was a football show
2: you are now just listing shows I mean we I love it literally now yeah. listing shows <laughs>
1: fine, here are fine. other shows that were on that didn't come anywhere near the list oh
0: unbelievable yes alright at this point I'm just talking about shows um, yeah. The Sinner season 3 was not the strongest season of The Sinner but that was an enjoyable piece of television but this year but that
1: also came out- <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes that also came out Snowpiercer well, also, came, also out came out and was a show however, <laughs> I mean, yeah. however yeah. and it's not technically this year but I do want oh to give god. a big shout yeah, out okay, Hey so no. let me finish let me finish for Cobra Kai for the simple reason that it came to Netflix this year and I think this year was when everyone discovered Cobra Kai Oh
1: my god we've now so there's a subsect of <laughs> no. shows that came out this year but were not necessarily good Cobra and Kai. then there's a subsect of <laughs> shows that went out this year but became Came popular this so year I was the most
0: streamed show oh. this year on television so that you can all hilarious. fuck off that is really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't new this year yeah. but it was you new
0: can't... to people this year because who watches oh youtube gosh. fucking premium uh, oh my god <laughs> big deal and and for anyone who's interested there'll be some Cobra Kai goodness fuel before the end of the year on this very podcast so uh, that also also (laughs) none of you have mentioned the two great guilty pleasures of this year to wit to wit Warrior Nun and Fort Salem both of which were magnificent
1: warrior nun i'm here for, yeah, warrior warrior nun nun
0: for the- did you, you terry did you not watch the rest of fort salem you said you were going to you would absolutely no, I was gonna, but then it. I
1: decided to watch the west wing
0: yeah, fair enough i can't really criticize that choice but fort salem was really good that like my guilty pleasures for this year warrior nun and fort salem are probably numbers one and there two is in that
1: there's nothing guilty about warrior nun <laughs> no. all, i mean pleasure. there's a little only bit pleasure. of
0: guilt about warrior nun but i loved it i thought <laughs> it was only great oh, any other shows that may or may not have come out this year that you may or may not have liked that you.
2: <laughs> I think we've named them all. Right.
0: Okay. Good. Right. Before we leave, because this has been a Herculean podcast so far, we do have maybe a few reader questions that we can go through in the last couple of minutes. Uh, and someone here, Daniel Watkins, says, Which show we said goodbye to in 2020 will you miss the most? Schitt's Creek. And high fidelity. <laughs> no, yeah, high fidelity is kind of the yeah. one for this year, isn't it? The fact that yeah, that got cancelled. But then it's not just shows that have been cancelled. I mean, The Good Place ended. You know, Homeland ended. You guys may not miss those that much. But uh, yeah, I think high fidelity is the big uh, the big cancellation. Lizzie Campbell wants to know what were your
2: most unexpected TV highlights of the year. Hers was Ted Lasso, much like Terry. Yeah, that was unexpected for me, definitely. Um, mm. uh, can I? Do, uh, what, what I meant to mention this ages and ages ago, but so I'm going to mention it slightly in answer to this question, which is. For me, Steve McQueen's Small Acts is and was a TV event that is ongoing and that they are five spectacularly brilliant individual films. stories, dramas, but they're not films. They're never meant to be in the cinema. They're absolutely made for television. One of them was in the, Some,
1: one of them was in the cinema. Yeah, only,
2: only for... Only festivals—it doesn't count. It's—they're not, not meant to be shown. They're made for television, and so they are absolutely a highlight of this year on TV. And we have to acknowledge that. I'm and visibly some of them are watching 50 Terry as she
0: is backed into a corner at this point, <laughs> having put no less than two of those on Empire's top films <laughs> no, of the year. No, I, fair I,
1: enough. Um, um, no, it's not TV, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's on. It's—I mean, they are filmed as a thing, but they obviously—it's—it's it's significant that they were shown on TV, right? Yeah, I I think that's put it this way. In ten years'
2: time, the answer to the question, you know, will be. Steve McQueen's TV series, <laughs> Small acts was wasn't a TV But it wasn't a TV
1: series. He, he, a series he can be speci-
2: different different stories. But
1: he specifically had them as separate as separate films. They're uh, not meant. they they're they're, a, a they're not in any way a films. series.
2: It's all irrelevant. It's a TV event. It will always well, be a TV in event. Well, there are
1: multiple film. There are multiple film lists all around the world <laughs> for and, loads and of and different in- films. Yeah, so was
2: Twin Peaks, uh, but that was yeah, TV. wrongly. Wrongly. There's yeah, no excuse that was, for that shit. No. It will be on multiple TV lists as well. And it should be on this TV list. There we go. It doesn't
1: really matter. But this semantic thing, I think, is missing the point entirely because it doesn't really matter what they are. If they they need to be recognised as exactly. major my cultural is, moments in the year, my point is it would
2: be remiss for uh, to, to not acknowledge the fact that they were a TV event and most on pretty much 99% of people who will have watched them on TV on a weekly basis and it's definitely television. <laughs> I mean, I'm so not so sure that why means why anything given
0: that every Warner Brother film out next year will be viewable yeah, on yeah, TV. No, so the line between TV and different. film has it's been different. horribly blurred. You know, it's different, <laughs> <laughs> but they're still films. Anyway, anyway, uh, most unexpected TV hearts here. Yeah, I think weirdly, Fort Salem was one that really. Flew me like as a proper came out of nowhere uh guilty pleasure type thing that and warrior none as we've already discussed uh would be up there for me but uh, martin Izard wants to know what tv shows have helped you get through lockdown slash covid restrictions
1: well i mean it's not new this year but the west wing um uh, has been a great friend of mine. I actually think that it's been really incredible that such a desperately dreadful year has coincided with what I think is is arguably the greatest year of television ever. Because I'm not sure what any of mm. us would have got through without those shows for us oh, to invest God, yeah. in. Because, we, you know, remember the the months when we weren't allowed to leave the house for more than an hour a day? You know, mm. you could leave the house once for your exercise for an hour, which meant we were spending 23 hours a day in our homes. So I think people absolutely had to rely on TV and streaming films to be able to not absolutely lose their mind. Mm. And I think most of the shows I've enjoyed this year, bearing in mind we've spent most of the year in lockdown, have been the things that have helped me get through it um, and things that I've become deeply, deeply invested in because they became so central to our lives. They were pretty much the only source of entertainment we had.
0: mm I mean, I firmly believe the West Wing is the cure for all ills. (laughs) There's a universal panacea that could probably cure the coronavirus. But I think for me, it's been anything that transported me somewhere other than the hellscape of 2020. Like something that's let me, like counterpart for me, just being able to exist in this quite literal parallel world for the time that I was watching that show really, really helped me. And, you know, and in a year when we've had no ability to connect with other humans, when we've been so isolated, something like Normal People, which is all about emotional connection, was really really useful and I think you know it may seem something about oh it's just really sad but I think there's something about being able to live lives vicariously through fantasy through fiction you know whether it be true fantasy or whether it's just that it's make-believe is really important for your kind of emotional growth and for your well-being I think being able to get out of your head to get out of your home to get out of your lockdown and your isolation you know and become ones with these amazing narratives these phenomenal stories that people are telling you know on television a way they never have done before it's an incredible time to own a television is what i'm saying
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. i think the silly shows though for me like um yeah schitt's creek does that mention it again but also like friday night dinner um i love it just shows that are just silly out and out comedies um that are just trying to be funny and to succeed in being funny are, are the ones that really did it for me
0: probably got time for one more and uh let's go with henry davis who says which channel streaming service do you think has had the strongest year in terms of quality not quantity.
1: I think the BBC's had an amazing year. Um I think you know th- I think there was a sense that the likes of Netflix um enabled filmmakers to have more creativity, to have more independence, um allowed them to be more daring, potentially didn't control them as much um and were more likely to take risks. I think what we saw by Michaela Cole, for example, not going with Netflix and choosing to go with the BBC. And she's spoken about the fact that they essentially said it's everything's completely within your control. We just want to be the place that you mm. bring this amazing thing. It's it's definitely made me look at the BBC differently. And, you know, they had normal people. They've got our top two. I think, I think the BBC, and I, I also think this year people have been really thinking about... Maybe binge watching things not being always the best way to view television. I think the deliberate pacing of things, I think the way I may, I may destroy you was actually um, dropped. I think people have started to maybe reappreciate the benefits of, of, of linear TV and, and traditional TV channels. Um, and I think that's probably made people reconsider what the likes of the BBC do and how they're viewed and their place as um, homes for creativity and for innovation and for risk.
2: I tell yeah. you what streaming services had an incredible year. If you're American, it's all about Hulu, I think, because Hulu um, had high fidelity and they that normal people's on Hulu in America Um, And Mrs. America, which we didn't mention, which I loved, which was that look at the feminism in the 70s, was brilliant. And um, uh, The Great is Hulu. So they have an incredible year. And it's really annoying, actually, in a way that all these great things are on Hulu, The Handmaid's Tale, because you never quite know where they're going to arrive here and, Mm. and when. And that's partly why stars play gets a lot of its stuff from hulu um so partly when people say when the fuck is this great hulu show going to arrive in this country you're like well we'll have to wait and see but hulu does a brilliant job
1: sorry british people you yeah.
2: sorry yeah <laughs> you can't watch it but i uh, know i'm with terry
0: i think the bbc's had a stormy year i, agree and I think with it's, the BBC factor, it's yeah. extraordinary that both our joint number ones are both bbc shows yeah well done auntie
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well,
0: no and devs, yeah. devs as well. Yes, yeah. absolutely true. Absolutely but, true. But I
1: also think you know Sky with with Save Me Too. I think you know what they the the freedom and and the creative kind of respect they give somebody like Lenny. But and mm. and I do think Disney Plus has been, which has been the big introduction um to our world this year, you know, before we knew we were all going to be derailed by a global pandemic, the big excitement this year was about the arrival of of Disney Plus and how that was going to change things. And we've obviously had two seasons of The Mandalorian. We're kind of, you know, what halfway through the second. How nearly and, to the end. And we've yeah. got Marvel coming with WandaVision and then a Falcon and The Winter Soldier. I think it's, you know, Disney especially the first the first marvel outing is really going to be significant and is going to kind of answer the big question about how you migrate something like the marvel universe which has been so brilliantly executed in in cinema how you make that a really compelling small screen um idea and I think the next few months for Disney Plus are gonna be are gonna be really interesting. Mm. I think Apple has been it's not been disappointing, but I think it's still the sense that there's not a volume of great shows. It's low output, isn't it? It's low output Mm. and they haven't had, you know think about those big shows we're all still waiting for as you say servants come back and which is january but also see. um morning show some <laughs> of some of us are expecting also see some of us couldn't give a fuck oh but- the morning show <laughs> yeah morning
2: show. Oh, can't wait right yeah. oh. and i think that we're, I, I think they've finished production i think i read that Something yeah so i'm incredibly yeah, incredible, yeah that, that that was such a great thing the morning show
0: well before we go, I did say that was the last one, but there is one more, and this is mainly aimed at Boyd, and I feel it is something that I should mention, and Lil oh. Sebastian said this. He said, the BoJack Horseman series finale was this oh, year. Oh, yeah. Tyler never mentions animation, and it was yeah. one of the best finales ever. Sad, funny, completed to character arts. He said, I know Boyd came
2: around to BoJack in the end, and I think it's worth a shout. Boyd? Yeah, my conversion to, to BoJack Horseman was almost West Wing-esque, and um, I, have a, I, I absolutely admit that I have a real problem with that animation i'm not even like you know like i've said this before i'm not even the biggest fan of the simpsons which i can appreciate its height was one of the greatest things ever but bojack horseman is fucking incredible yeah as i choose that word for the 80 millionth time i fully (laughs) concur i think you'll find it very hard to get either terry or james on board to watch bojack horseman it's not going to happen yeah sorry it's up there with rick and morty for me things i'm never going to watch
0: again because i just can't get on with it sorry well, on that BoJack-related note, that is it for our Review of the Year podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast more than you enjoyed 2020, and I'm hoping that's a fairly low bar, then please do hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. And if you'd like to pick up the torch and proselytise about pilots, your friends, family, and indeed random strangers on the street, then that would be great too. If you want to follow Terry Boyd or myself on Twitter and or Instagram, then you can do so at James C. Dyer at boyd hilton and at terry underscore white slash at terry l white depending on her mood or the platform. We are done with this 2020 special but crucially not done with 2020 itself as we've still got a few more shows to go before we give up on this year altogether. So do make sure you download the episode next week when we'll not only be getting into the new series of Euphoria but the embargo will have finally lifted for season 5 of the expanse that's right people we've waited all year for this event and now finally it's upon us you can't stop the message pilot out